flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars stacks. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, but every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bead, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah. that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut, I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself, you can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, and every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting bubble loop. Hello, How are you doing on this inauspicious Thursday? <laughs> I am your host, Rihanna Joy Gray, and this is The Debrief. And I don't have to debrief you about the events in labor in America today. This feels like a really, I don't know, like we've been disappointed a lot of times before. And there are so many similarities in what happened today compared to all of the different events we've been talking about for the last two years. It's weird to think about because, you know, the, the podcast, the podcast started only like a month before force the vote like happened right <laughs> in September of uh, 2020. I think force of vote first became, became began, was raised as a, as a political option just before Thanksgiving. And if you had asked me whether I thought I would be talking about it two years later, I would not have said yes. I know there are a lot of people who like to say, Oh, Brianna won't drop it which is, I got to tell you, not a substantive argument, um, sirs. But it is frustrating to not be able to walk away from it because it really does seem to be 
the same principles replaying themselves over and over again. The principles being to use some kind of congressional machination and balance of votes to always ensure cover for why someone who is explicitly elected to advance the interests of underrepresented working class people is not going to do so. And so I was, I was going back, I was thinking about all of the moments that this happened. Okay. It was forced to vote. And then there was this argument that it was going to be the $15 minimum wage. And there was, remember that whole thing about the pro act. Everyone was excited about Joe Manchin coming on board with the pro act. And I simply raised the fact that it wasn't, going to pass without filibuster reform, which everybody was against, Biden was against, and then all the union people came after me, not not actual union people, but like all of the, the DSA, sorry, I don't mean to like throw DSA under the bus, I, it's not personal, and so many DSA members are so disappointed today, I'm not trying to attack anybody, but you know, there was that corner of the internet that was saying that I was anti-proact and anti-labor for pointing out that you shouldn't be giving Joe Manchin credit for saying he'd support something that obviously wasn't going to pass anyway. And then, of course, there was the $15 minimum wage, Michigas, um, which has stunning parallels to what's going on now with respect to the idea of taking something out of a bill, bifurcating it so that, you know, you, you make the part that you don't want to pass subject to a 60-vote burden that it's never going to pass, and everybody can performatively say that they support a thing without ever being at risk of it having happened. Um, and it's, and then of course the infrastructure, what, what, um, Maximilian Alvarez called on today's episode, the infrastructure shuffle. And so this time around, I think what was really distinct was the fact that unlike what's the usual case, which is where if Democrats vote something down, if progressives vote something down, the argument is, well, we could have gotten some marginal benefit. Or, you know, if we vote this down, we'd lose the COVID restrictions. If we vote this down, you know, there'd be some other kind of, we've got something marginal. We've got pay-go exemptions. You know, they're always able to hold on to something. In this case, voting the whole kit and caboodle down actually is a preferred outcome. (laughs) Is a preferred outcome for the people in question, not actually using this 1920s act to quash labor action is actually the preferred outcome. And in this case, they said, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) We are going to vote for this tentative agreement Um, because it's attached. This This is how Machiavellian it got. We were first sold the idea of attaching the TA to the, um, to the, the paid seven days of paid sick leave as, well, these things are linked together. And isn't Pramila Jayapal a genius for negotiating this? Then it became immediately clear that they were not going to stay linked together in the Senate. So that was completely irrelevant. And as I reflected on it further, it became clear to me that you had to link them together in the House. Otherwise, the squad would have no justification for voting for the TA. Because if they were decoupled, right, they could have said, okay, I vote for the seven days of sick leave, but I don't. Uh, vote for them to have to have the rest of the contract, right? Like the the the, severabil- the, the inseverability worked both ways in the house. Um, and we all know what happened. 
I've been frustrated to see that some people who have done really excellent labor coverage, to be honest, of this whole event are in this moment actually defending what all the squad members, except for Rashida Tlaib, did. Also, shout out to Mark Pocan, who didn't vote for this. Uh, I'm sure that you've seen what AOC has uh, tweeted about this. She referenced, she made reference to a local that doesn't seem to be, I'm told in private correspondence that they're affiliated with the railroad workers, but they are not railroad workers. She, she referenced this Teamster union that she consulted in her own district and said, this is what they wanted us to do. For some reason, they're perceived to be representative of the railroad workers in a way that their choice to vote down the TA is not representative of the railroad workers. Not sure what that's about. But she says, I talked to them and they wanted us to vote for this. So at very least, we'd have the folks on record in, in the Senate voting against the seven days of sick leave. And right up until the minute they voted it down, I had people, you know, texting me and telling me, well, there's a chance. There's a chance. It seemed to be, they're they're counting votes. It seems like there's a number of Republicans that are going to vote for it. You know what? I I don't, I don't ever want to be this cynical a person, but it was clear immediately there wasn't a chance in hell. I'm sorry. They were, the counting that they were doing is making sure they had just enough people to prevent it from happening to let a couple of people grandstand. That's what it was. That's what's what the, the whip is to make sure it doesn't pass, not to make sure it does. And I'm so exhausted of being gaslit in the alternative. If, if these people even one time, even one time come with a narrative that made an iota of sense, a justification, a legitimate justification, so I, I replied. I replied to to AOC's um, tweet asking a simple question because what what she what she said here. Let me just go ahead and read it so I don't misrepresent anybody or take anybody out of context. So Ryan Grimm tweeted out: "There seems to be a lot of confusion here about the vote yesterday." The unions wanted the Progressive Caucus and the squad to vote the way they did so they could fight in the Senate. The unions wanted it. The unions wanted it. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because it seems to me the unions have been very clear about how they feel about everything. I read in both today's episode and at the top of my radar today what the unions wanted. And they called... An abandonment, they called the Democrats and the Republican Party two corporate parties, wolves in cheap clothing, and said that Bernie Sanders was the only one who was even halfway decently protecting their interest, and they, that they were grossly disappointed in Biden's behavior here. That's what the union said in a statement that they seem to have no problem issuing on Tuesday. But apparently, the unions, which apparently just means this 202 local grocery store union in um, AOC's district, told them to go ahead and vote for the TA is the argument that's being made here, un- unsubstantiated. So if there are units, if I'm wrong, and, and a representative portion of rank and file in the, in the rail, railers union wants to say, hey, we were actually in, in conversation with the squad, and we did want them to vote for this because we did want to get Congress members on record, uh, senators on record voting down the, the, seven, the seven days of sick leave, 
t- let me know and I will happily tell you I'm wrong. I still would say I disagree with that strategy, but I'm happy to concede that no one's misrepresenting you happily. I'd happily love to see that. But it seems very odd to me that given the ease with which these people are making statements, the union has made very strong statements about their displeasure with exactly how Joe Biden has addressed and the Democratic Party has addressed this entire sequence of events, that we would be without a statement and be relying on some tweets from AOC and Ryan Grimm. So Ryan Grimm says, there seems to be a lot of confusion here about the vote yesterday. The unions wanted the Progressive Caucus and the squad to vote the way they did so they could fight in the Senate. You can disagree with that strategy, but it's the one the unions, plural, settled on. AOC replied, yes, much of the, oh, sorry, wait, let, let, let me do the direct reply. That was a lower down reply. Um, Yes, and not just national leadership either. We followed the strategy ask of our local unions, including the rank and file we've picketed alongside before, like 202, as well as nationals that rejected ratification. In New York 14th District, locals ask was yes, yes, so we could send uh, paid sick to Senate. And then people were asking follow-ups about why this uh, Teamsters Fresh Food Industry Workers Union affiliate would be relevant here. I have not seen satisfactory answers um, to that. I replied to AOC simply asking, not antagonistically, genuinely want to know. If that was the consideration, why did Rashida Tlaib and Mark Pocan vote differently? What was their, they obviously had a different consideration, a, a different calculation. So what was their, do they just not care about unions? They ignored their locals? What, what is the implication for them and why they voted? Do you think that they made a stupid choice? Moreover, to what extent are we, I, I understand that ultimately you're a congressperson representing a district, but that excuse, I'm sorry, is the same excuse. The idea that I have to do it because of my constituents is the same excuse that people like Jamal Bowman and Richie Torres use for why they vote for all of this unlimited aid to Israel and fail to stand their ground on any number of issues. So at what point does the moral justification for doing one thing outweigh the political consideration for doing something? What is the point of view as a DSA member and a self-described socialist? And when the base, most basic of questions of which side of are you on is asked, you can't even symbolically vote down a TA that will pass without your help. The TA and the, and the um, sick day leave are shackled together. So the idea that you have to vote for the sick pay leave to get it to, heard in the Senate is bullshit. If it's, if it's really about, oh, it's got to get to the Senate, right? If it's really that it's got to get to the Senate so we can get the up-down vote in the Senate, it was gonna, and they had the votes to pass the TA with or without the sick, sick leave attached, and, and those, those two were going to go together anyway, then AOC didn't have to vote for it. Ilhan Omar didn't have to vote for it. None of them had to vote for it. It, it works in both directions. So why, why, would they, why, would the teams, why would the Teamsters or anybody else want you to symbolic? What is the value of you symbolically saying you approve of a coercive legislation that is going to crush a strike? Make it make sense. I'm sorry. I could truly be missing something. 
I'm not an expert. No, everybody knows here I've never claimed to be any kind of labor expert. But I've been asking this question, trying to ask more of informed people in the DMs. And I have yet to get a satisfactory answer. Okay? So I think the, the, other, the other part of this that I just want to get off my chest before I start taking questions. Sorry, I need to sip my beer and settle back a little bit. I'm sorry. I Look, I, I started this way because I, I know that we've all been through some disappointments together and some frustrations. But I got to tell you, this one sat just a little bit differently with me today. Or maybe they all felt this way and they, it's just worn off over time and this one's just the freshest. But I... I I felt I I feel like God bless Jimmy Dore. <laughs> I feel like saying some pretty fucking Jimmy Dore things right now, and not and not trying to be at all reserved or polite about the behavior of these people today. The ask was seven days of sick leave. They got zero. On Monday, 400 business interests wrote a letter to the Biden administration insisting that he break this strike or else cataclysmic, quote, cataclysmic, or was it apocalyptic, I think they said, apocalyptic consequences would accrue. And Biden, in all of his statements, go back and look at all of his statements and all of Karine Jean-Pierre's statements, they make it clear that negotiating an agreement that actually included those sick days was never in the cards. Remember, this is a Biden-negotiated agreement. Biden could have said, take this agreement with the sick days or else we're not going to inter- in- intervene here. Our intervention, the government's intervention is on the side of labor and to negotiate a contract that has the fundamental thing that they wanted in it. And industry has to take it or leave it. Instead, he negotiated an agreement in favor of industry and said the railroad industry has to take it or the railroad workers has to take it or leave it. That is very clearly what happened here. And the one option, they keep writing these statements, Karine Jean-Pierre, all of them keep saying these things that elude the fact that them not acting at all is actually advantageous for the rail workers because then they have the leverage of a legal strike. Doing nothing actually helps them. But they keep having this posture like something had to be done. Something had to be done or Santa's not coming to, to, to little Timmy this year. And all of the libs, all of the defiant dads, Brooklyn dads and shit on, on the Internet are buying this hook, line, and sinker. And I got to say again, even some of these lefty labor reporters are buying this notion that, well, now, oh, now uh, Biden has always supported, this is the line that him and, and Pete Buttigieg and all of them have been given, Biden, Biden has always supported all workers, not just real workers, all workers getting sick leave. Oh, really? Right now, federal workers get sick leaves except for rail workers because when Obama passed that policy, they explicitly excluded rail workers because the fundamental issue here is the is the PSR and they don't want to have to change the 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 format of, by which they currently uh, carry cargo across the country they don't want to change the 
the the the the shipping mechanism that has enabled them to start getting these like hand over fist incredible profits over the last few years. If they start letting people have time off, they have to change the scheduling so that it's going to cost the bosses some money, and they fundamentally fundamentally don't want to do that. So the, the the sick leave was never fundamentally on the table from the, from the business's point of view. Warren Buffett can't raise his wealth by 50% in the pandemic if that's the case. The 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 that that CEO that I mentioned in my radar can't get a 26 million dollar payday and a 50% raise year to year during a pandemic. So I'm sorry that that's that's where we are. Um, that's where we are. Uh, Brian, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, Bree, how are you? You know. How are you? How are you feeling about all of this? I mean, it's good to get things off your chest and. I guess I just wanted to reaffirm what you were saying because, like, I think it just lays a bear that these people in Congress are just careerists and they're not operating in good faith because there's no way you can have, like, they're too intelligent to not come to the conclusion that you came to and, like, to perform the mental gymnastics to act like either giving the, the unions the days they need or just not acting at all. To act like those aren't the best courses of action to me is just dishonest. And it kind of reminded me of the uh, Star Trek episode you talked about when, like, uh, I think they went back, <clears throat> either they went back into the past or they brought people from the past to, like, mm. the Star Trek era, and they were like, you know, we had these replicators and all the modern technology, and there's no more scarcity, so we just made a better society. And the people from the past were like, well, no, it was always about power. Like, the scarcity was never really an issue. Mm. I think here it's just it just lays it bare, because when you have people like Warren Buffett, who has more money than God, and just the massive profits they make from the railroads for them not even to capitulate a little bit and act like it's the union's problem when like they could just skim a minuscule amount off the top and make everything, make everything okay. It's just like, it's, it's despicable. And I mean, the, the progressives are clearly frauds after this. And if, if you're defending them, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're looking at. And obviously that's a pessimistic outcome to come to, but it's, it's the right one. Okay, people can accept that. I just I don't know what to say. I like I'm, I I honestly I have felt disappointed in these people. I have you know I think this is the first time I felt really kind of disgusted. I got to be honest, and maybe that's 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 on me. Like that's an indictment of me and my tolerance level and my willingness to, um, you know, say well maybe they're just afraid. You know, I don't like that they're afraid. I don't like that they're cowardly. But, you know, that's a that's an emotion that I can understand and empathize with on a human level. But this is. I mean, it's bad. Like, it's it's it's. And I mean, I was watching uh, Pascal Robert uh, yesterday. He had um, uh-huh. a whole conversation about Hakeem Jeffries and his ascension and how uh-huh. he's basically a, a human manifestation of this whole mindset of the democratic party and it's just going to get worse from here so i mean i i don't know it's I, like i said you got to keep the faith but it's it's difficult in times and days like these so I, I don't know yeah i mean i'm looking i'm looking at this um someone said something about her liking a tweet i don't see what they're a, a tweet that was 
negative about me. I don't see what that is, but I'm looking through some of her tweets now as a consequence and what they're doing, what they're doing. It's so great. This is, oh, they're so good at this bullshit. They're dangling. They, they have to dangle the next thing always at the disappointment. Like they Every have time. to dangle the next hoop so you can like have hope. So they're all, they're all dangling this, um, you know, this, this, uh, federal, federal workers leave thing. Oh, Biden can do an executive order. By, by the way, by the way, Obama's was an executive order. Like they, they did this, they did this already. Biden, Biden, remember was vice president of the United States of America <laughs> when Obama signed an executive order to give all federal workers sick leave. And they purposefully excluded railroad workers so, why would they so that the industry could protect itself. And so now we're supposed to believe that yes. Joe Biden, what a mensch, is going to do something different this time around and sign an executive order and actually follow through this. If they, if they are not right now figuring out a way, I mean, they already probably know. But I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. I will be happy to eat crow because, you know what, me eating crow means that you know, hundreds of thousands of workers get sick leave. So I won't, I won't shed it to you. I will be, I would love to be wrong. I would love to be embarrassed. Humiliate me, King. Embarrass me, please. But I, I bet you money I'm not going to be because I haven't been yet. I'm sorry. It does not feel good. I saw that. I saw the post today, Supreme Court taking up the student debt opinion. I DM'd Jed Sugarman immediately. I said, let's just look. Is it going to play out? I, I swear to God, I hope I'm wrong. But if this doesn't play out exactly like what Jed said on that student debt episode, probably, possibly a 9-0 opinion, but you could have a couple of those liberals on there, but only a few, then I'm a monkey's uncle. Because we haven't been wrong yet, and the reason that we're not wrong is because we're looking at power and not who, like, seems cute in a congressional newbie picture. And who seems friendly and nice. And, and, who, and who like quote tweets and drags Marco Rubio on the internet. Who gives a shit? It's, I mean, it's bad. It's all bad. And the last thing I'll say before I get off is I think you asked about my uh, avatar one time. And it's, it's actually Richard Pryor and it's from his skit, President Pryor. Which always oh, it is Richard Pryor. Yeah. It's a really funny skit if you want to play it or watch it in your free time just to Pre- like President Pryor? Maybe yeah. we do need a little levity. It's not going to get me canceled, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's it's Richard Pryor in the seventies. It's just bound to offend somebody. <laughs> Let it's me funny see if I can pull that real quick. <laughs> Why am I not seeing this? Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, Richard Pryor showed the first black president. Lol. I'm sorry. Ignore that's Jennifer Garner in an ad. A healthy, happy childhood. No one cares about that. May I have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, the 40th president of the United States. Tom Matthews, UPI. Uh, Mr. President, earlier this year you said that you would travel anywhere in the world to further the cause of peace. Uh, considering the worsening situation in the Mideast, are you planning a trip there in the near future? 
We have no definite plans as of yet to go to the Mideast, but we do plan maybe perhaps in a couple of years at the settlement and the agreements have not been reached by that time. Uh, Paul Onaki from Honolulu News. <laughs> Mr. President, the Senate has voted to proceed with development of the neutron bomb. Don't you feel this will impede further progress in the salt talk with the Russians? Quite contrary to that fact, the matter of uh, nuclear existence deals with atoms and atomic weapons, not with neutron weapons. The neutron bomb is a hold-cost weapon. It is not in the cellular realm of reality. We're trying to hold it in place, and it's a neo-pacifist uh, neo weapon. Clarence Richards, AP. Yes, Mr. Thank you, Mr. President. I'd like to ask you a question, which I'm sure the American people would like to know. Do you feel that within the fiscal year, the unemployment rate will drop below the 5% level? Well, as you know, the 5% level pertains mostly to, if I may say, white America. In the black America, the minority situations is up to high as 45%. <laughs> and we plan to, with all our efforts, try to lower that rate to about 20% in the black areas, and of course it will be lower in the white areas, of course. We're trying to do this and merge a United States. Mr. President, Mr. President, yes. uh, Arthur Williams, Chicago Sun-Herald. You've just okayed a $250 million increase in our space program. What I'd like to know, is the main reason you did this so we can finally recruit black people for the space program? I feel it's time that black people went to space. Uh, <laughs> white people have been going to space for years. Uh, and spacing out on us, as you might say. And I feel with the, the projects that we have in mind, we're going to send explorer ships through other galaxies. And no longer will they have the same type of music, Beethoven, Brahms, and Tchaikovsky. And now we have little Miles Davis and Charlie Parker. We're going to have some different kind of things in there. That's right. Yes, yes ma'am. Roberta Davies, Jet Magazine. <laughs> Mr. President, on your list of candidates for director of the FBI, are you including the name of Huey Newton? Yes, I figure that Huey Newton is best qualified. He knows the ins and outs of the FBI. If anybody knows that, <laughs> and he would be an excellent director. Yo. All right, I'm going to stop it there. There's still another, like, uh, three minutes left, so I won't keep going. But thanks, thanks for the recommendation, Brian. And up next, we have... Uh, Cousin Eric, what's on your mind this evening, Cousin Eric? Hey, what's up? What's up? About time you got pissed off. About time what's you mind, about Eric? time you tell your inner me, right? I'm not in the mood, Eric. I gotta say. So what's what's on your mind? I'm not. I'm no, not in the mood I'll for lectures. That. I would say that as a compliment. I, I, I don't care. I'm not taking it that way. I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not taking it that way. Me being measured and maintaining credibility for the sake of this broader community isn't something I'm going to sit here and get lectured about today. So I'm happy to take your question and, and you can let me know what's on your mind. But I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have the emotional excesses in this moment to take like sarcastic 
uh, indictments of what you felt to be my previous um, extensions of grace. I, t- you've been very clear about how you felt and you're entitled to those opinions. I'm not make, saying that I have any regrets about the way that I've handled this to date because I think that I had credibility as a consequence of not jumping to conclusions and keeping my wits about me. I understand that you feel differently, and I respect that you've gone out and moved through the world in a way that you feel like is appropriate. But I'm happy to hear what's on your mind substantively this evening. Yeah. I, anyway. So, at this, I mean, at this point, should we really be surprised by this? Not really. I mean, it's Joe Biden. It's this, this, both parties are trash anyway. So in terms of what's next, honestly, it it's really going to depend. It's going to depend on a bunch of things. Um, you have different individuals with different perspectives. I mean, people are going to people are going to get even further radicalized to more toward more to the right, most likely. Um, so don't be surprised about that. And, and yeah, I mean, we don't actually have a fully functioning left. So, so I mean, you can't be surprised about it. I mean, some, some might lean more anti-capitalists might lean more there, some people, but I wouldn't expect that to be the majority. So where we go, probably going to be deeper radicalization. People are just going to be more pissed off. I mean, because nobody, nobody's going to fall for the bullshit no more. People already see this system ain't fucking working. Yeah, well, you say no one's going to fall for the bullshit. Unfortunately, a lot of people are falling for the bullshit, you know? Unfortunately, like I would argue, maybe even uh, most most people. Yeah, I mean the 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 headlines are: Hero Biden averts a strike, La- labor friendly Biden saved Christmas. He he worked out a deal. The implication is that it is favorable. They're emphasizing the pay raises, which were never the point. The trolls, I've noticed, they have a, the the line in all of the comment sections. You can tell, you know, obviously when things are repeated too frequently in consistency, that it seems like something more than just an accident. The line they're going with is, these people make six figures. They need to get back to work. How dare they ask for vacation days? They earn too much money. They earn more money than you. Classic divide and conquer working class shit. And a lot of people are buying some combination of that line. And, and I, I want to say it is especially useful to that project to have the squad members on board how could this be bad if the squad members are for it no no one really is objecting who would object there's a world where aoc and you know ilhan omar and uh ro khanna are all on tv saying how this is a disastrous betrayal here, here's here's what the here's the statement. Here's the, what the railroad workers said on Tuesday. On Tuesday, 
Unfortunately, the most labor-friendly president has opted to side with big business and call for a thwarting of railroad workers' rights to strike. On Monday, President Joe Biden called upon Congress to adopt legislation that would mandate a contract and end the threat of any legally sanctioned rail strike from happening. This... Although railroad workers have voiced a deep desire to strike in recent months, rail unions representing more than 55% of rail workers have voted down their respective tentative contracts with the rail carriers in recent weeks. Let me find the wolf bit. That's one of my favorite bits. Wait a minute. The... um, No, I'll find it later, but yeah, go go ahead. Well, you still have, okay, maybe not everybody, but you still have some people still falling for that crap. But I'm ta- I'm mainly talking about the people who are actually, you know, paying attention. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not I enough mean, of them. And why would more people yeah. pay attention when you've got well, the squad running cover for moments like this? And that's and that's why, and that's why you have to call them out. That's why, like the whole discussion of like what is actually left in setting that boundary is important too. Because I mean, at at some point, like something's got to give. Because people can't keep getting disappointed like this over and over and over and over again. I mean, Richard Wolf. I mean, Richard Wolf. Somebody who's warned about this like fifty times. You can't keep slapping workers in the face like this, and then think nothing's gonna happen. Eventually, something's gonna have to break. You know, the most it's just distressing. A, it's just a. Yeah. It's just a matter of what breaks. The most yeah. distressing part of this is that I think, um, I think that part of what has happened. Is that the union itself, the railroad, the rail union itself, wasn't um, prepared to go on strike? What? They hadn't done the organization necessary to actually exercise the threat, and that is a problem. Because on some level, then union leadership is appreciative of the cover of not actually having to exercise the threat. Well, part of that is us not being able to really teach about that type of thing. Well, no, it has to do with labor leadership. Why aren't they? Why aren't they uh, um, organized enough to be able to actually do the thing that gives them all their power? I mean, people also have to learn some things, too. There is that part. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the organization. That's what we're talking about. So it's that. And then I saw another article opining that because the um, cop, the union um, coffers have gotten so substantive over time that there there is this, like, pressure not to drain their funds in a strike. So once you get, like, $200 million sitting in the bank, there, it feels like there's too much to lose almost. And there's a lot of pressure not to, quote unquote, waste that on on a strike. So I'm, I'm sure we're going to learn more and more things are going to come out. But the, it's, it's a really dispar- it's dispiriting situation. But here, here's they have this energy. Here, here's the part I was looking for before. 
from from their letter. Again, this was Tuesday. So when AOC is saying this is the unions wanted them to do this, keep in mind that they, they had no problem making statements. And this is the statement they made on Tuesday, two days ago. The tentative agreements that the majority of union members had voted down are now being touted by President Biden, despite that none of them contained any sick time whatsoever, according to RWU co-chair and conductor Gabe Christensen. The most labor-friendly president in history has proven that he and the Democratic Party are not the friends of labor they have touted themselves to be. These wolves in sheep's clothing have for decades been in bed with corporate America and have allowed them to continue chipping away at the American middle class and organized labor, except for a handful of progressives, notably Bernie Sanders, who have shown their willingness to fight for us. The entire political machine must be changed. But we're supposed to believe that, you know, someone's local said something and so they wanted this or something. I don't know. Make it make sense. I, I Look, I, I hope, I pray I eat crow, but, you know. I mean, this is part, basically, this is one of the main, this is one of the main reasons. I mean, this is one of the main reasons why you see so, so many of us are like, well, capitalism has to go. I mean... You can't you can't keep having this situation with capital labor and what all of a sudden the president squashes you and then it's done. I mean the, Yeah. It, a lot of a lot of it is the fault of again, going back to teaching, we can't teach about this type of thing. Um and on top of the fact that you have such an easily manipulated populace. I mean, it's significant. Enough people aren't paying attention to the point where this is actually working. It's embarrassing. Um, yeah, I mean, look. It, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But, but like, even still, that's why there still have to be more and more. And I, and I know, like, Sabby says this a lot, and it's going to be true, like, there's going to have to be more local focus and it's going to have to build into a mess. Like it's going to have to start from the ground, from local up, like a real, like challenge to capital itself. That then that's what give the, that's what give these unions real strength. If it's built from the ground up and the challenge to capital is always there from the ground up. I mean, the, it's, it's, the, I, mean, I mean, you got, huh? I mean, Okay. But that was the point of the unions. <laughs> that that was the whole point of this, that this was the population that was actually organized, dwindling as it might be as a percentage of the overall worker population. But this was supposed to be one of the strongest unions and most sympathetic um, group of workers in terms of atavistic, regressive, traditional views of who a real worker is, whatever. It's all bullshit, but here they are. The most sympathetic case. Little children play with their engines and pretend to be engineers and hope hope that the trains blow the horns and sit and watch them on the tracks and all of this Americana shit. This was this is supposed to be like the test case as good as it gets. They they control an industry. It's an industry that controls you know, the, the artery of the economy. And still, it seems that we lost because 
a hundred years ago. <laughs> they anticipated this shit <laughs> after a bunch of rail strikes and said, no, 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 no. Everyone else gets to unionize and strike, but you. Yeah, which goes back to my point about it can't just be them then. I mean, eventually you're going to have to have a mass general strike. Because right, it's, it's inevitable. That's why if we see why this didn't work here, I mean, obviously, like you said, they're obviously these assholes are prepared for this shit. Um, but then again, that's why it can't be just them alone doing this for them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah it's going mean, to have to be- I, I hear you, but I think the concern is that this, something like this, people were hoping would spark solidarity strikes and other actions. Them not doing it, you know, it puts the onus on people just to organize themselves from scratch, which I understand, obviously, in lieu of anything else, has to be done. But, you know, that's a, that's a longer-term project unless you do one of these spontaneous things that sometimes does spark off. But I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I do think you're, it's like just sitting ahead. I don't, I don't know in this moment. I think we're all trying to process and understand what ha- has happened. So, like, the idea of just saying, well, yeah, I guess we're all going to have to do something else now. I mean, we all get that. I think that's, like, we all, we all get that this didn't work. That's, this, that's what we're talking about right now. No, I, 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 I know. I, I know that. That's what I'm saying. Like, given that all of this was against the, the, the railway workers themselves, like I said, general strikes gonna have to be inevitable. It's just gonna have to be when they when they strike. It's gotta be one of these things where, like, like I said, it's gonna have to be ground up, and then er- and then other strikes. It's gonna have to be basically everybody strikes with them. Mm. It's got to be all workers striking with them simultaneously. Yeah. And but well, I don't know how likely that's gonna be. Yeah, I'm just saying it's eventually gonna have to happen like that. Thank, thank you so much for calling in, Eric. There's a, like a million lap mile queue, so I got to get some other people, but I appreciate hearing from you. Keep the faith, All Eric. Right. Take care. Chris, what's on your mind tonight? Hello. Hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm your energy exactly right now. Um, yeah, I'm kind of down. I ain't gonna lie. Like, um, today was, I guess, like, it 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 really was kind of like very disappointing and it kind of it kind of just you know i don't even honestly i'm to the point now i don't even think it matters if you vote or not like that's kind of how bad it is if the squad is the best we have we have no we have no kind of political power within any of these offices whatsoever and I hear everyone saying, like, you know, you got to go local and you got to do local and everything. And I've actually been trying. Like, um, I live in Maryland, so I've been looking at kind of like the Green Party and everything, especially during, like, um, the midterm elections and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But they had so little resources. Like, I literally was, like, all on social media, all on just trying to find candidates. And they weren't even, like, there or existing. And then, like, I think I found, I found, like, one page on, like, Facebook. It had 25 members. And it's like... Mm-hmm. 
Oh my, it was hard. So then, of course, like, you know, I'm looking for people because, of course, I would write people in. I was like, all right, well, I'll write green candidates in. But it was just hard finding green candidates for the specific positions and everything. And it's like, so when you kind of come across that kind of stuff, too, it's just like, it, it it's 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 bleak it's it's yeah it's just bleak yeah mm. yeah it's why i mean i know there's a lot of um oh you know green party candidates aren't gonna win and mm-hmm. what's the point that like the people like to people like to say but it it is like really important for funding reasons for people to try to get them in these federal elections to whatever it was mm-hmm. like the five percent mark or whatever you get you know, federal yeah. matching funds and also like to pay attention and get like, I, I, I can't stand the mentality of, I don't like how something is going, but I have never put any energy into trying to improve it. Like that, mm-hmm. like irritates me. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that every single person has to go and run for office. I know that people have lives in like limited time, but at least like, don't shit on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just mm-hmm. get out of the way, you know, like get out of the way or at least like just use like if the only thing you do is like vote for this silly green party candidate even if you don't like him let me tell you i'm not wild about howie hawkins <laughs> i'm like he doesn't like inspire me i'm like no grudges against him or anything but he doesn't he doesn't i'm not like i affirmatively liked jill stein howie mm-hmm. hawkins he's a guy whatever who cares but you know I, i'll do what it, it needs to be done what am i gonna do, waste my vote on joe biden <laughs> exactly exactly you know so yeah i, I hear you chris I hear you. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. And I'm like, it, it's kind of, I guess, like today kind of capsulated it because, like, you kind of got to see it. Like, I, you know, I try, I guess I was, you tried to just hold out a little hope and then that just got crushed. And that's kind of what it was. And I think with like AOC, like, I know you won't say it, but I'm officially there to say it. She is the biggest con artist I've ever seen. She's nothing but a performer. I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt when she was fake being arrested and all the stunts and then that tacky-ass fucking dress she wore to the Met Gala before and then while she sold out Chris Smalls and then tried to come back later when they actually won the shit. It, it's just, it's, you you just gotta call it. You, you, you just see it now. You didn't, And I guess, like, you yeah, because her logic and what she's trying to present like i like ryan Grimm. like um what he was saying i was like okay maybe hold back the way it sounded like bullshit because then it was like well if that was the case and y'all was speaking to the union leaders why did rashida Tlaib dissent right it it made zero sense and even if you guys didn't have the votes why would you not not vote for that and then vote for the the package it just it, it it sounds like they're just like to me which he tried to highlight was the oh you know this kind of got sprung on us how the hell did this get sprung up on you when we've been talking about this for two weeks about the um joe biden warning that he was going to do this how are you this off guard we've been talking about i mean well exactly Max alvarez and 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 um you know some of these other labor reporters would mm-hmm. said they'll be, they've been talking about this for a hell of a lot longer than two weeks Please, we've all been yes. talking about it since september at least the last time there was a strike deadline Mm-hmm. And this has been a, an issue that's been going on for three years. Exactly. How are you, jo- Jonah Furman and, and Mel? Um, you know, all of them have been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, how are you? So that that oh, we only had twenty four hours, and we were just scrambling and talk. Come on, man. Come on. By the way, I hear Max was in the chat, and Max, I think I sent you an invitation. If you want to come up, I I know everyone would love to hear from you. Oh yes, Max, please come up. Um. I can't find you now again. Where did you go? I'll send you another invite. No pressure. No pressure. I know that sometimes, you know, you've been doing the rounds today and I'm 
but I, you know, we'd, we, we'd love to have you up here. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's like, it, it just rings so hollow and it just like, like not trying to shit on Ryan Grimm though, but he was kind of cover trying to do cover for her. See, AOC is actually responding to her critics. <laughs> Come on. Like, I know you, like, you obviously these are your people, you, you know, obviously you have good relationships with them and y'all have disagreements and stuff, but come on, what does that mean? She's giving half-ass excuses for why and then stuff that doesn't make, that makes zero sense and she's gaslighting to her fucking people like she always do. She does this all the time, like, co- like you don't need to run cover for it. I know he gave, I know she gave you an interview and you want to keep that relationship going because she doesn't talk to anybody except people who are going to give her softball interviews like the fuck you did. So, but come on, let's just call a spade a spade. Yep. So. I, I just, I look, so, so like, okay, let, let's, let's, let's do this benefit of the doubt exercise. Um, All right, so we're this trying. is a Ryan Grimm tweet from, from three hours ago. Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about the second thing. Like union source tells me union source Union source, source yeah. tells mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my girlfriend in Canada told me. No, I'm just kidding. But let's <laughs> say there's a real union source. I don't mean to be that glib. Okay, mm-hmm. union source tells me their next push will be uh, to demand Biden include railway workers in the executive order that mandates 56 hours of paid sick leave. First of all, <laughs> that's not seven days, and it sure as hell isn't 15 days. Mm-hmm. Completely off. You know, okay. Democrats are known for that. Not just, hitting the mark of where it's supposed to be. Just like, under. 56 hours? First of all, what the <laughs> fuck is 56? I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm, I'm not understanding it as calculated as like an eight-hour workday. Mm-hmm. So eight times seven is 56. So that's a week. So that is seven days. Okay. Uh, so, but I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that their days work. I feel like they don't work eight-hour days. I feel like no, that's the whole point. Either. Yeah, they don't. Um. So... <laughs> that feels like weird math, but okay. Mm. I, I I admit that I might not be fully processing that number, but let's just say let's let's pretend for a minute that that's a good number, that that's an acceptable number. I need. We are all smart people here. We are not dummies that don't know about what happened before when O'Biden tried this and, ex- and, and, and excluded rail workers. So I need to hear if that's going to be credible. Okay, I need to hear. Biden say something like, we made a mistake excluding these people before. This time, I am affirmatively so invested in them getting sick days that I will not sign an executive order that does not give the rail workers what they deserve. But you notice who's saying this? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the left that are kind of dangling this as a possibility. I'm not hearing the Biden administration Exactly. Maybe maybe that's not fair. I, I don't Buttigieg see everything that gets just said. Went and did an interview, and for six minutes they was trying to get him to say, "Well, do you support Lady?" He didn't do it. Ooh, like, oh, Chris, y'all got to stop this, stuff. Chris. Like, I'm literally, I was literally pulling that up. I was literally Look, we're not going to listen to all six minutes of this because we don't have we don't have the time. But when I tell you that this man was asked repeatedly, repeatedly. Over the course of six minutes and 55 seconds to simply say, this reporter, I got to give her some credit. Alex Wagner asked Pete Buttigieg at least three times in this to simply say whether Joe Biden here, listen to it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Terry Buttigieg, thank you so much for joining us. I, I just want to get right to these two bills we have uh, passing to the upper chamber. Is it the position of the administration that this deal should not pass without seven days of paid sick leave for rail workers? 
So the position of the administration is that we need to enact this tentative agreement and avoid the Wrong answer. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Possibility of a rail shutdown. I want to make sure it's it's understood from a transportation perspective that uh, a rail shutdown wouldn't just shut down the trains; it would effectively shut down the country. There is no transportation system for a freight rail system. So, within a matter of days, you could see, for example, chlorine not reaching water treatment plants and. People in American cities being told that's the point, my guy. Water or use that's how the, water. that's that's uh, why they have power. They're the essential. Industry effectively right. shut down uh, within uh, potentially a couple days at some facilities because they don't have that many parts on hand. We estimate about six hundred, seven hundred sixty-five thousand workers would be laid off within two weeks of a rail shutdown taking place, and it would only escalate from there. So it's critically important to the national economy uh, that that shutdown. Not happen. Now, what we have in terms of what passed today in the House soon after and very swiftly after uh, Speaker Pelosi brought it to the floor uh, is a resolution that enacts that tentative agreement that the labor leaders and the company with zero sick days reached at the table uh, a couple of months ago and which uh, was not ratified that were party to that that there and, the and four voted uh, it down eight of those unions mm -hmm. acted to ratify the deal representing 55 percent of the workforce right now. Bottom line, have to make sure that something gets to the president's desk quickly. Bottom line, no. Bottom line, no. Bottom line, he cannot say the that Joe Biden supports sick leave policy. She, hazardous shipping, she's going to, she, she's going to ask him one more time. God bless her heart. No, she's going to ask him seven more times, but we're only going to listen to one more time because I can't stomach this shit again. I think, I, you know, given your articulation of the stakes here, I think we can all appreciate the urgency of getting something done. I'm just having a hard time understanding understanding where you guys are positioned vis-a-vis -vis Senate Democrats. I know Me that too, you girl. and Labor Secretary Marty Walsh are meeting with Senate Democrats tomorrow. Is it your, will you be encouraging Senate Democrats to pass this with or without the extended sick leave? And by extended, I mean seven days. Well, look, uh, as you know, the president <laughs> believes in paid leave for all Americans, uh, whether uh, they work in... in all lives matter at the whole conversation. That from day one. All lives matter at the whole conversation. Come on. I'm tired of this stale brand of fucking neoliberalism trying to be repackaged as it's something that is not, yo. Like, come on. Like, this is just terrible. And you know what the sad part is? Let's just... Like say, like we're we're going to operate, and let's say that it will happen. Let's just give them the credit, like that. You know, Joe Biden does do this, and you know that, that that he goes through with the executive order. You know, when he probably is going to do the executive order, right before election, right, right before election, because you know that's when democracy is going to be on the line mm -hmm. once again. Mm -hmm. Come on, and then, oh God, yeah, we're fucked. I'm sorry, we're just fucked. Like I, I'm sorry, they're acting like they're not like. 30 different pieces of information that we're using to put into a puzzle that makes it all make sense. Like, they like have we can all watch been... Bill back better. Yeah, so they... splitting the two, like, like splitting the two bills up it's, like it's, you did a bill. Come on. Exactly the same. And look, I, I played during my radar today on Rising, I played a clip of um, Gottheimer on TV. It got, shout out to K-Study for pulling all these clips. But uh, Josh Gottheimer on TV, like, like fully say, like saying the quiet part out loud, that the priority, a similar line of questioning and just fully said the priority is avoiding the strike. 
The priorities averting the strike. The priorities averting the strike. The priority should not be averting the strike. Exactly. <laughs> the priority is getting these workers sick leave. And you that that is your priority as a pro labor president, as a pro labor human being, as a person who isn't like a, a gutless it, fucking wonder. Exactly. <laughs> it literally is exactly that. And then you just took their power away, their leverage, the leverage that they did had. You just took that away. But you're, it, you you can't say it. You literally can't say you're the most pro union, pro worker president ever when you just crushed them. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, I'm sorry to be bleak and everything like that. But yeah, this was, I don't know, this was definitely more disappointing than most of this stuff that's been going on as far as like force to vote, uh, build back better, all that kind of stuff. This one was, was, because it, it kind of is like, I guess what uh, the last guy was talking about is like, you know, the mask is kind of off for, I think, maybe some, actually, I can't even say that because the left is Half the left is bought by the fucking, you know, the idea of progressives and that then they're actually thinking they're actually doing something. So mm-hmm. I can't. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the squad. Like, I, no, that's the, history they're terrible. Reflect that the squad was the greatest op that was ever pulled. <laughs> it is. Like Nick the greatest said it, diversionary yeah, uh, tactic. <laughs> yeah. Nick said that, though. But this was the greatest con job I think ever put pulled on the American people. And it's sad because it really is. It really I've never seen so weak, so ineffective people be in this position so long, but then but capture the minds of all these fucking people on the left to where they just don't even try to see the bullshit. And I think what happens is they commit too much to it. So they have to just die with it. They got to die with the lie. Like you, you didn't put it in, you'd invested in it. You didn't said this is a thing and you didn't, you just shot, you know, you didn't shot coverage for them and just done everything you possibly could. And then now it's just like, you know, I can't just say I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, this is why, and I know people feel some kind of way about this, like, don't at me. But this is why I, you know, I had to give, during Force of Vote, Kyle Kalinske a special credit because, you know, he co-founded the Justice Democrats and was, like, fully, he's the one, like, he's the one that set all this up and then was like, well, we didn't tell you to do this. This wasn't the point of view. Mm-hmm. And was at least at that juncture, you know, willing to to say that, like, we literally explicitly put you into all this to not do the shit that you're doing right now. You know, mm. and to be willing, Jank, who was also involved, was not willing to say that, right? Yeah. So, like, I, like, I appreciate that at, at, at various junctures in this, there have been truth tellers that, again, has helped have helped us just not feel so gaslit, and who were inside and who knew better, and, and you know, could tell the truth. But honestly, I'm looking at this, and it's like, God, you know, I, I, I'm really not trying to feud with anybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. And he's recording breaking points right now and i'm sure we'll continue this conversation mm-hmm. the text thread that we've been having after he gets out but i truly don't know how you can be defending aoc in this moment i don't get it either it, it was so, uh, like how how who I, cares that I, she's responding to critics through twitter who cares she's not going to do an interview where she's going to get some serious press about it so what does this mean it don't mean anything why did you feel the need that you had to tweet that? I, like I said, I get it. You got the interview from her. It seems like she she responds to you now, so maybe you're in the, the idea with the squad, so maybe you could finally she didn't, get She didn't respond to me. Oh, yeah, she's never going to respond to you. But, you know, you're also hated 
by the left. So, well, by that particular part of the left. So, yeah, she's never going to respond to you. Hopefully, though. Hopefully, maybe. Maybe she got the balls one day. I mean, she got. She made the mistake of responding to Justin Jackson that day, and I don't know that she's recovered. Not <laughs> to underestimate people. She also responded to Crystal, and Crystal. I mean, she kind of gave it a business too. So, you know, which I, which one was that today or, or no 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 that was that was when um that was the Chris Smalls joint when um, oh right 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 when she tried to congratulate him and then Crystal was like no you abandoned these dudes just so you right. can right cosplay at the Met Gala with that tacky red dress on. Well, excuse me, white dress. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Elsie is a beautiful woman. She has zero. I disagreed oh. substantively with her wearing that dress at the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. And also, I did not think it was cute. <laughs> it was it was the most performative thing ever and it's like it was hard not to say it wasn't cuz it was like no, no, I'm talking purely oh, oh, ed- aesthetics. It was like business on the top and like wedding dress on the bottom, and it wasn't my, oh, it my, wasn't to my I'm taste. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I'm just, I'm just fully being a catty bitch. No, let me not. Let me back, let me back up sure, into no. the substantive. Uh, yeah. the, it was wasn't wrong because the dress was not to my taste. She looked beautiful regardless because she's beautiful, but it wasn't. If I was gonna go down in flames over some performative nonsense, I would, I would be dressed to the nines. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, the only reason why you were criticized is because you want to date her, so you good. <laughs> Can I tell you, since I'm, you know, the better part of the way through this uh, Allagash White, uh, back in, I want to say, 2018, I was on these here apps, and I ended oh. up going on a date with a guy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at the time, but I had met him briefly at AOC's victory party. Oh, uh, which I was covering for Democracy Now. And I met him backstage when I had a brief interview with AOC. I, don't, I didn't remember him because I just thought he was one of AOC's friends from college. And mm. in my head, I was like, oh, these are children because, you know, I'm mm. four years older than them. And at mm. the time, I thought that was a really big deal because I was 33 <laughs> and I thought something about something. I don't know, 32 maybe. So <clears throat> I didn't, I don't, like, I vaguely remember there being some of her friends from college, but I didn't really pay that much attention. Then we, we matched on an app and we're out on a date and he was like, we've met before. And I was like, oh, so here I am out mm. with, apparently he, AOC and AOC's now fiance were like the, the trio and thickest thieves in college. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a perfectly fine date. Everything was fine. And it ended up in a bit. We never went out again. Oh, where'd y'all go? Um, I was living in the West Village at the time, and we went to a restaurant down there. This I forget what its name was. It was Bar, Bar Sandrine or something like that. They've got good uh, burgers. Oh, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> I logged into the Bad Faith Twitter a few weeks ago, which I don't do that often. Because on my Twitter, I've blocked and muted a lot of people. So my user experience is pleasant. Pleasant. On the Bad Faith Twitter, it's a wild, wild west of people saying unkind things. (laughs) (laughs) So I get in and out. I'm like in and out. Oh, let me retweet this and I'm out. Mm -hmm. But I had seen that Bad Faith was tagged in a comment. And it was this man from four years ago (laughs) going off about how horrible a person I was. <laughs> and I bought you that burger. <laughs> Girl, are you kidding me? I, we 100% split. 
I never let these, first of all, I'm always, you know, luck, lucky enough to be in a better financial situation than 99% of the people, men I go out on the date with. And I always offer to split because no one's going to be having that hanging over my head. And they always take me off offer it, uh, on it because chivalry is dead. So well, there's no way that I owe him that. anything in terms of a fucking sandwich bill. <laughs> anyway, he was going off on me like you go off on a stranger. And I was like, sir, like, I just don't understand why you would say like, this is public. Like, why would you say something like this? We met and had a lovely time. What is wrong with you? You didn't call him back. No, actually, I think that he didn't call me back. Oh, oh, okay. I, I, I remember the date ending well. And then not, no, no, what it was, I remember I went, I went to on a vacation right there after. I think I went to London to visit my friend who was living there like the next week. I remember I was texting in London and him saying, like, he wasn't ready for something or did I had just broken up with. And I was like, okay, fine. It's, it's like, fine. But I, I just don't understand. Like, I don't – I understand going off on abstractions and ideas and people you don't know and people you think. But I just don't understand the inhumane – like, what are you so mad about? What have I ever said about AFC that <laughs> felt unkind or unfair other than just now saying I didn't like her dress? <laughs> yeah you've actually kind of been on you've been handling them kind of with kid gloves to uh, in my personal opinion as opposed to like uh, the ie jimmy door like, right you know. and i gotta say like i have always respected the rage that jimmy has had and i think it channels something reasonable and sincere mm-hmm. and i have never tone policed jimmy door for that reason and I think that it's useful for people to be playing different lanes, which is still while I'm not while I'm not fully embracing that for myself, even though tonight I'm very much feeling like Jimmy Dore. But like it, it is very frustrating. Like you're training people not to treat you with any kind of grace if you're going to behave as though their graceful approach is commensurate, is like identical to what Jimmy Dore does. Like why why hold back at all if you're going to behave as though I'm calling you unfair personal unkind things yeah okay you know and it's it's just it's very frustrating i don't know why i told that story i should probably shouldn't have told that story i'm, yeah. I'm very upset tonight because <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was actually going to oh, and i was like so is that like really a thing with girls where with women where like they go on a date they want to split the bill because they think the guy hangs that over them as opposed to like they oh no I, I offer in good faith okay. and it's like the you way, the, the way i think about it is i'm not I'm not ever going to be in a position where I expect – well, here's what it is. Okay, yeah. Oftentimes, I want to eat what I want to eat, <laughs> and I don't want you looking at me like, oh, Lord, she's ordering the expensive thing, and I'm going to have to pay for it. So, <laughs> so, that, so that's one thing. Like if I'm about to order you know, a steak or whatever, I will be – like I will try to make it clear that it's not going to come down to you. Okay. Secondly, I often – like. I would love it if a man picks the location. They often don't. They say, <laughs> where do you want to go? Which I find to be very irritating. But if you ask me, I'm going to tell you where I want to go, which is not the sports bar that you want to go to. And so I also feel like if I've p- now picked a place that is more expensive, it's my responsibility to cover it. And in those times, sometimes I've covered the whole thing. You know, like I've assessed that, like I've, I've very much taken somebody out of their element and I feel bad about it. So I'll just say like fully, I, I get, I'll get all of this. Isn't that kind of hard though to really take it? Like, I don't know. I'm not a woman, so I wouldn't know. But... It's not hard. 
I'm also not going to say it's sexy. <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, would you be turned off by the fact that it was like, oh, you can't cover the... No, come on. Like, this isn't like 100 years ago. Like, I'm not I'm mad not... at anybody for not... You know, I, especially I chose the place. Like, I forced you into this environment that maybe, you you know, it's not as easy for you to afford right now. Like, no, that's, that's, that is on me. And that's why I think traditionally men have been asked to... Sorry for this aggressively heteronormative conversation, everybody. But, like, historically, men have paid. I think it made sense if men were choosing the location, women didn't have jobs, all of those things. It's like, if you set me up to be in this environment, you should pay for it. Mm-hmm. You set the conditions of the date, so you should pay for it, not spring all of this shit on me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing that, I think that that's also fair. In an <laughs> ideal world, because I have to- toxic masculinity baked into me, uh, because of 37 years living on this planet, <laughs> yes, it is. It is alluring and seductive to feel taken care of, including financially. I'm not proud of it, but I'm going to be honest about what it feels like. Yeah, and I also think that, like, if I'm on the fence about a dating experience or whether I want or not, I want to go out with you again. If you are paying, then to the extent that I was like teetering on the edge, if I wanted to go out again. The fact of you paying makes it like a low risk experience for me to go out with you again. Like it costs me nothing. So, okay, fine. Let's do this again. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to have to pay like 50 bucks to go out with you again, then maybe like, no, I'll stay at home. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I got a lot of work. I got <laughs> So, uh, yeah, maybe next time. Yeah, okay. Same goes for picking a place in my neighborhood. If you want me to travel halfway across DC to the fucking capital or something, <laughs> like, you want to give? You, you, you better be like pretty cute. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not going all the way to the capital for like okay. Oh. <laughs> you see, you guys hear this? We're not the only ones that have a little bit of shallowness in us. It's okay. No, it's it's far. <laughs> That's like a thirty dollar Uber ride. <laughs> <laughs> but Bree, you already explained. You got it right. No, it's not worth it. Netflix yep. is free. Netflix is my brother's account. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. I'm just I'm just not that pressed anymore. I'm old. I've been on all the dates. I know how they go. There's diminishing you? returns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I you know what? Chris, yeah. you always do this to me. We've been chatting about nonsense and there's like forty five <laughs> people in this queue who want to yeah. talk all about it. Right, guys, later. I know you're getting mad right now and I know because y'all really want to rail on everything, so I apologize about that. But yeah, I'm s- you brought it you, up. You brought your dating experience up, and I was just curious. No, you're right, and I go down these frolics and detours with you because I secretly want to. But Chris, we gotta, we gotta stand okay. strong. Got you, got you. <laughs> All right, thanks for calling in. No problem. Keep the faith, my friend. Yeah. All right, Jaw, what's on your mind tonight? Did I lose you, Jaw? You did not lose me. Can you hear me, Bree? I can hear you. What's going oh. on? Ah, uh, what a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had a couple of things. I, I really um, like what Max said about, uh, you know, turning everything into a profit widget, no matter mm-hmm. the lack of utility for customers or, in this case, vital infrastructure that everyone depends on for baseline survival. Um, I, I think he's right. That is the, um, the sort of overarching overarching theme of everything right now and it's a really big problem to solve and I've been sort of racking my brain about how to do that but there's some things I want to engage you on specifically 
And it's this question that Max was sort of asking where he was like, whether we collectively can be trusted to support unions and strike efforts and why it is that we are failing in that department. And I, I kind of have a couple of broad theories about that. Okay. I just think about how difficult it is to educate people around the country um, of these very complex labor issues and get them to care enough and then get them to show their various forms of support. That's like a little bit of a complicated process. It can be. It doesn't always have to be. And it seems like the employers and the government who serve them solely have such a well-oiled machine to get ahead of all those efforts that it they'll always sort of beat us to the punch. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What do you think about that? So this came up a little bit during the Jane McAlevey episode, which is now over a year ago. And yeah, get her back on the podcast. But you know, there was some tension around because I think at that point we were talking about the PRO Act. And there was some tension around the, a gap between leadership and rank and file. And, you know, she, you know, there was some reluctance to really go in on the unrepresented, you know, the capture of leadership given, you know, her need as an organizer to be able to maintain relationships and get what needed to be undone. And I, I appreciate that. But again, it's like with this access journalism stuff, there's a fine line between, you know, holding your tongue, not being, you know, as hard or characterizing things quite as aggressively as one could Hmm. hoping that you seem like you're acting in good faith and like fully just carrying water for someone. In the same way, it's yeah. like, oh, well, are you ultimately achieving something meaningful by not calling out even leadership? Or are you ultimately enabling so that you can do, you know, trainings or whatever, you know, for, <laughs> for pay? I'm not saying this about her, but I'm like saying generally speaking, or whatever relationship you have with, with unions and being able to continue to do your job without blowing the whole thing up. And, and Bernie, too, all, all of it. It's like. God, you know, God bless Bernie for being the best of a bad bunch right now, for sure. But, you know, words I would like to hear Bernie say that he won't. Joe Biden has thrown unions under the bus. Yeah. Joe Biden should not vote, support this legislation. Biden should not pass any, you know, should veto any legislation that doesn't include sick days for rail workers. Joe Biden, what, what, what are we waiting for this executive order, by the way? Is there like a special window when Mercury is in alignment where he can do the executive <laughs> order where he can't do it like fucking today? Like maybe, maybe there is. I don't know. I don't understand legislative muckety muck. Someone, someone tell me if there is a phase of his little cycle where he has to, where, where he can sign executive orders, you know? Uh, why, why is everything in some un, unknown future? Wait, let me look at this language again. What did, what did they say about when he can do the executive? Like we're hoping, we're wishing and praying. <laughs> tweets, tweets and replies. I saw it. Yes, you like this? Like this tweet? Where is it? Where is this Ryan Grimm tweet? Okay. The next push, mm. the next push, she doesn't say when. Let's see. Jonah Furman also was talking about this. Let's see what he had to say. Let's see what he had to say. Oh, look at Rashida's statement. I missed that. All right. Let's Rashida hear said <clears throat> three hours ago, I grew up in a union household. Collective bargaining is a key 
to economic justice. Today, our Congress not only voted to impose a contract on workers who rejected it, but the GOP and Manchin also failed to include the paid sick day work uh, days workers were demanding. Shameful. Okay, okay, Rashida. But what about your friends, though? Will they stand around? Will they let you down? <laughs> you said it. You know? I... Yeah, I... Bree, this is... I don't know. I'm, like, at the point where I'm, like, openly questioning, does our government have the ability in the form that it is in, in all of the, with all of the, whatever is going on, stuff that we can see, stuff that we can't see, to really stop the looting of the country by these corporations? Like, or is it really going to take something else? Um, and I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining anything different than what has happened today coming from this administration. And I don't know what future administration is going to look like. And I'm kind of just like scared about what that means. Yeah, me too. Someone was saying, oh, um, Max was on um, Citations Needed yesterday too, or oh. the day before maybe the day with um, Mel. I'm sorry, I'm blocking her last name. I should look it up. She was great as well. Mel, um, Mel Buer. And I love mm-hmm. Citations Needed. And it was a great episode. Um, and they were, I think it was, it was either Mel or Max who kept saying, uh, <laughs> kept repeating, um, that the only options are, you know, the only options for, for meaningful change are strikes, you know, unions withholding their labor or armed rebellion. <laughs> and every time they said armed rebellion, I feel like everyone got a little bit quiet. <laughs> like everyone got a little bit uncomfortable with it, but like, that's like this weird truth understandably so it sucks that this is it you know like i i don't know look i i am going to be honest i wasn't built to storm anybody's capital yeah <laughs> i was not forged in the fires of artillery and flag waving and storming a storming of capitals however i i i Mm-hmm. I cannot ignore the obvious. Like riots are the language of the unheard. I didn't. I didn't make that up. Yep. And and things are going to keep keep popping off all, all over the place and all different sides of the aisle. This weird, this stunt, this this Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, you know, you know, support. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe it's sincere, but whatever. Who cares? They were able to appear once again to be to the left of a lot of these other Democrats. I think it's cynical and just to be anti-Biden. Sure, they there's not a single moment in any of their careers where they've ever indicated any sincere interest in supporting unions. But Republicans are definitely going to make a grab and muddy the waters about which party really is pro-union. A hundred percent. They're smart too. How can how can how can you muddy the like? How could you even do that when it's so clear? I don't know. It's so clear. What's so clear, my friends? It's so clear that nobody is pro union. Nobody is pro labor okay, anywhere. But these these binary two party, you know, kooks. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah. It's a ping pong machine, and they're just going back and forth and back and forth. They don't they don't have an, an exit route. Oh, Brie, but- ping pong is fun. <laughs> I mean, like they, they, this, and this is why I think it is so important to be talking about third parties. Like, I understand that people feel like, oh, it's futile, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I, I get it, but like, 
if you don't create a landing space for people mentally to go to, regardless of if they can win, they need a viable, like just mental landing pad where they can cognitively understand themselves as genuinely neither Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. And we are not providing that for anybody. And, you know, that's why there's a part of me that, like, is glad Andrew Yang's out there doing whatever the hell he's doing, even if I'm not going to support it directly. Oh, I'd rather swallow glass. <laughs> I, I just, it, it's, I, I, yeah, exa- whatever the hell Andrew Yang is doing, I really don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. We're going to get him back on the pod because he, I, I, I can't emotionally, I can't emotionally uh, deal with the prospect of that interview right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later day. But, but why? Uh, I'm going to need another beer. Sorry. Don't, the, the alcohol is not medication. You should drink it for pleasure, not to drown your sorrows. I'm it just going to nurse this one. I'm just going to nurse this last sip. Okay. What kind of beer are you drinking again? Oh, tonight? it's not great. It's a, it's an Allagash white. I'm all out of my chamomile beer. Also, I think I have to run. I'm going to run my sorrows away is what I'm going to do. So I have there to be go. not drunk. I'm going to, I did four miles last night and mm. went to bed, was in bed by midnight, which is like an accomplishment for me. And I finished my radar by like 6 PM. And I mm. was so pleased with myself because I haven't done any kind of long run, especially long runs on the treadmill are really hard for me because I get distracted. But I remembered a trick I used to do in law school where I would not allow myself to look at the time count. I I wouldn't look at the screen and instead I would count songs. So I would say, Brianna, depending on how far I was supposed to run, like what the goals I set for myself, I would say, Brianna, don't look down until you've listened to 10 songs. Mm -hmm. And that way you're like focused on the music and more willing to get invested in the song. Cause it's like, it's only 10 songs and 10 yeah. songs. will be like, you know, four to five miles, depending on how fast you're running. It's a good way to collapse time. Absolutely. And I, I did that and I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I've, Brandon, I've unlocked my superpower. Do you be getting though? Like I'd be worried about you because it's rising and radar. I'm truly and- exhausted. Did you see what I look like yesterday and rising? I was like a zombie. <laughs> I'm not co-signing that. I'm not co-signing it. To me, you always look oh, wonderful. I was so. like, Lord have mercy. She's she's barely awake. She can't get a sentence out. I was like, today, I was like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm feeling so cogent. Like, I'm able to find words. I'm able to recall ideas. Like, is this what happens when I get more than five hours sleep? And also, I had a boiled egg before I came into work. It wasn't going hard on an empty <laughs> stomach. This is transformative. Wow. My IQ just went up like 15 points. Not a boiled egg, <laughs> Bree. I, I, I wish that I could. I, I, I wish that I could. I don't know. Fix you a breakfast for a week or something like that. I also wish that for me. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm choosing my choices. You know, I also streamed like the entire series of Wednesday. You know, on that. Oh my god! <laughs> so- it is the best. I'm choosing my choices. I, I, my mom was watching it over Christmas and I was making fun of her. And then I started watching it when I got home and uh, over uh, Thanksgiving. I, I couldn't be mad. I enjoyed every stupid second of it. This shit was hilarious. <laughs> it, it's great. And, you know, I knew everything that was going to happen though. Like all the, nothing was a surprise, but it was still very enjoyable to watch. I don't know. It's the yeah. writer in me that was like, yeah, then you're going to do this. And then you're going to turn this character into the surprise this. And the, you know, yeah, 
Yeah, I you're for sure. For sure, but that's what I, I that's what I want. Like I'm not trying to be surprised. I'm not trying to be upset. I'm, <laughs> I wanna watch something mindless and do a crossword or my wordle or the one with the B in the background. I want to I want to be playing a mindless <laughs> word game because I have at this ADHD where I have to like be multi I have to function on many things. I have to be doing oh, me puzzle, too, girl. I'm playing Legos. Minesweeper right now. You're doing what? I'm playing Minesweeper right now. Stop. Otherwise I could not be talking. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm like if I'm on the phone with someone, I'll be trying to talk to someone who I like care about and I'm like I'll be getting really irritated. And like mm-hmm. wanting to get off the phone, I'll be like, "Oh, Brianna, you just need to color." You mm-hmm. need to be putting together a Lego. You, you know, I, I realized when I was doing that Lego set, my friend got me a Lego set um, when I had COVID over the summer. And I had the best long conversations with people while I was doing this Lego. I had like heart to hearts with friends I hadn't talked to in like a year because <laughs> I had this Lego set in front of me. In fact, I need to go ahead and purchase. I think, I think for Christmas, I'm going to get myself, there is a Lego in the shape of a typewriter that I've been eyeing. Ooh. Don't Google it. You're going to be mad at how much it costs, but it's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, and I want it. <laughs> Those adult Lego sets are incredible. My big sis does them all the time. I'm like, what? You built a bonsai tree out of Legos? Oh, I have a friend who has a bonsai tree. Nuts. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've okay. seen that bonsai tree in person. I don't. I don't have it, but I've seen it. Yeah. I'm all right. Have to okay. Up on that. All right, yeah. Bree. Let, let me let me get through this queue. Get some damn sleep. All right. I I will tonight. I don't have an interview until like three tomorrow. So. I'm I'm, awesome. I'm about to I'm about to hit news. Thank thanks for calling in, Ja. I appreciate you. Keep the faith. You too. Thanks. All right, Andrew. You're up next. Also, I'm gonna hop around a little bit. Oh my god! I was bit. so sure you were gonna say that before you called on me. <laughs> well, I, when I hop around, I always like cheat to the front. So I'll take I know. Like, a random and then. Oops, sorry, I just sat on my soundboard. Sorry, sorry. I yeah, take a random, I then going... I come back to the front. Then I take a random, then I come back to the front. It's a very just uh, decision, I will say. <laughs> I have a whole ass buffet of things for you to pick from because I know okay. I can be long-winded. I'll try and keep it short. I got a little bit of distraction levity. I have on-point, on-topic uh, optimism. And I have um, a proposition for you. I can. Okay. I think I can really do them in a manageable amount of time. What do you want? <laughs> um, stack them all up in the front, and I'll decide which ones to take on. Okay. There is another. Um, there's this really old school comedian, Moms Mabley. Do you know her? Yeah, of course. She has that segment she did about a black astronaut. I want to say it was like under Johnson or Nixon. I can't remember. Um, but it's really fucking funny. If you can find one where it's a video and not just audio, very good. Uh, but I will say for the sake of like podcast, um, she could be hard to understand. <laughs> like if you, if you haven't talked to a lot of people who are pretty, like have a pretty thick Southern accent, I guess. Um, other thing on topic optimism, um, the ILWU, the international longshore workers union. So dock workers, Mm-hmm. They've already been, and actually, oh, Amanda's right after me. I, I wouldn't know this if it weren't for Amanda, so I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, she could probably fill you in better, but 
in the Bay Area, not just the Port of Oakland, but other uh, ports in that part of California are considering striking because of the same exact shit. Um, mm. You know, cutting cutting down staff to the bare minimum while there's a huge backup in uh, shipping, et cetera. Plus, they're considering privatizing the whole port of Oakland. And this is, there's multiple reasons to be kind of optimistic about this, even though it's like, it's never good news for workers when they're like, we have to go on strike, except for the fact that they're exercising that power. But the the billionaire in the area who is um, set to benefit from this privatization, he'll be building like really expensive housing nobody in Oakland can afford and um, mm-hmm. a, like a like an arena or some shit, um, some kind of venue. I can't. I think it's for sports. This same guy has been fucking over the public schools in the Bay Area. So a bunch of like teachers mm. are also considering like doing. So- they they've already met and talked a lot with the longshore workers, mm. and they've been like organizing together on public outreach and stuff. Um, and it it seems like it's pretty likely they will go on strike in 2023. That's a really significant port for the United States uh, for commerce. And then also, like, way back in the queue somewhere, oh, like halfway now, Jesus, um, there's Nick. He's got the uh, Teamsters Union logo as his profile. I would highly encourage if you skip around, uh, hit up Nick at some point. He has been working to, like, reform the Teamsters with this, um, like, communist labor organization he talked about a couple times on some other episodes. And I think he would probably good insights about the whole, you know, why isn't the the rail union apparatus prepared for or willing to go on oh, strike. Oh, yes. Nick, um, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yes, do it. And then a um, couple other things. Uh, I think, I'm sure you've already talked about it, but when, when Max was saying towards the end of the rail episode that we need to be exercising solidarity right now and not just saying we should be exercising solidarity, he was like, donate to the strike funds. I was thinking yeah. you, RBN... Mikasa Sukasa, Convo Couch, Jimmy, um, et cetera, whoever else is willing could do a, not just like a plug, but like a legit like donation drive to strike funds. Um, and also maybe talk with some union membership about like, well, how fucking big is the rail strike fund? Because we've talked a lot about how these unions have been around a long time. They used to have nearly, I mean, I guess roughly four times the membership that they do now of active working members. So I imagine they have a big war chest. So you made, you made a good point. One possibility is like, well, it's a lot to risk if we, mm-hmm. if we spend that whole war chest. But mm-hmm. I think there, there's much more likely to be, not more likely, but alongside that, there's likely to be, you know, the corrupt, oops, <laughs> corruption and calcification of the, unions um the leadership they see themselves as like um i in the best case scenario they see themselves as like a fiduciary for their membership where they don't want to um you know they they want to just take the best thing on offer and not ever risk it to get the biscuit and they also um uh you know in the worst cases are just like a you know a they're a, they're an agent of the of the of the entity they're supposed to be negotiating against. And that's probably why you're hearing like, oh, the negotiators of the majority of the unions said it's good. That's why Biden can say shit like that. And then last thing is I have been uh, talking a little bit to a friend of mine, very um, 
organized, hardworking, excellent human being who I think you should potentially hire to be your assistant if you haven't already found somebody. And if he doesn't want to or in the meantime, I will actually do it. And I can give you like 15 hours a week. I, I work on my computer already doing like grant writing. And it's not um, a stretch for me to, I don't know, I've been wanting to say this for a while, but, I'm, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll have time. But then I was like, you have time. I can, I can spend easy 10 to 15 hours a week if you want me to so sift great. through emails and just like, uh, you know, do grunt work. I don't care what it is. I'll do my best to not you, you, be. You uh, guys are great and you deserve someone who has better executive function and more, <laughs> I don't know, grit or something than I do. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to get it together. My New Year's resolution, my New Year's resolution is to sit down with a financial professional, <laughs> actually chart out a plan to hire staff and to have a growth plan for how we're going to do some of this stuff. Like I was thinking, so I think your idea for um, uh, someone said a telethon in the in the chat, but some kind of fundraiser <laughs> is an excellent one. And I was thinking about the one we did for um, Julian Assange over at Breaking Points with mm. Marianne and Katie and people. And how that felt like a really effective model. I think they've done like three of them now. I know that there was the one about the progressive candidates that everybody hated, but there have been three. There was one that I wasn't a part of because I was home for Christmas or something. Um, and I would love to be able to do something like that again, but it would be nice not to always have to rely on the generosity of breaking points in their studio. And cause they also just keep incurring all of the costs of like putting those events on and paying their staff for the overtime and all of that stuff. So it would be nice to be able to have a little bit of that functionality and have a studio and be able to, I don't know, do some of this stuff. So I, I think that everything you're saying is right. And I am going to figure out how to hire someone. That someone may or may not be you, <laughs> but I really appreciate <laughs> right you offering your time, sure, yeah. which is I, so valuable. I've become a little more organized over the past like three years than before where I was just doing like, you know, like work here and there for at the most like two years. Um, and then just, yeah, working, I'm already just like scheduling fucking and going to meetings and talking to people and it's more boring than um, then, you know, probably the, what you're able to do with reaching out to people and, and changing the political dialogue. So yeah, I, I wish Max, you, uh, Max was in the chat hey, Max, saying that, um, some folks have been planning on doing an end of year multi-day live stream pledge drive for strike and hardship funds. I would love to be a part of that. Max, let me know what I can do to help. You're, you're in Baltimore too, Max. Maybe we should all go over to the breaking point studio. LOL, I hope the rising people aren't mad at me over that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that could be really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I I will I will make graphics for that if people they have better people make graphics than me. What am I talking about? I'll send the graphics to people in the places where I have contacts in the U.S. Oh, speaking of, um, let me see if I can find find the link. Uh, one of Bernie's uh, designers, who's a good guy, I retweeted um, earlier today. Tyler uh, had apparently some kind of terrible accident and had a GoFundMe going today. So oh, if people know Tyler and also you know have the means to support 
that that was some some bad some bad news. But yeah, well, I appreciate whatever help um, Tyler Tyler Evans. In case people are looking, I pre- I appreciate everything, Andrew. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna call on your um, friend now, Nick. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling in, Nick. I'll try and keep keep the faith. <laughs> as difficult as it is in a day like today. Nick, you got you got tapped. Yeah. Hey, Bree. Uh, yeah. Thanks for talking up, Andrew. I appreciate it. Um, actually, I I called in. Um, I, I I share your your anger today, and uh, uh, but I don't really have uh, uh, a lot of uh, substance or at least anything unique to to add to the conversation. I I really just wanted to call in because the last uh, three or four times I talked to you, I. I wanted to make a recommendation for a guest, but uh, we talked for a bit and you were eager to get the next person. So I wasn't able to get it in. Who's, who's uh, the guest? Well, it came up on the podcast today. Uh, Joe Burns, um, uh, when your guest quoted him as saying, there's, there's no such thing as an illegal strike, just an unsuccessful strike, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a point he really makes in his books. He, he has this new book out called uh, class struggle unionism, which is just incredible. And I just, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, his previous books are, uh, reviving the strike and strike back. Um, I, I think you would, uh, be able to have a, a really good conversation with him and, um, be able to move past some of the, uh, the roadblocks that you met, um, in speaking to, to other labor leaders. He's a, he's a labor attorney and, uh, um, oh, that's director of the, uh, uh, for a director of collective bargaining at the Association of Flight Attendants. I'm just reading from his author blurb here. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, he's uh, like he, he's someone who would be really willing to go in depth about uh, general strike and strike tactics in general and about um, just ignoring labor law, which is not uh, written to benefit us and um, being willing to to do more militant action. I, I wrote it down and that I'm always looking for good labor guests who can get in the week. My favorite kind of guests, this is part of why I like Clara so much, are the ones, like, not everybody you can, like, fully ask every question that comes up to and know that they actually can answer it. And that's not, like, shade. I don't know stuff, you know. But sometimes you have people whose expertise level is so deep that you can really just, like, use them to shortcut reading a lot of books. <laughs> And fully just like get to the, like what is the answer to this? And this this person sounds like exactly the kind of guest I love to talk to for that reason. But your, look, your friend your friend said um, I forget now that you could speak to something specific. What was it? The the issue something about um, the gap between union leadership or rank and file or what's oh not being ready to not being organized to actually strike. That's what it was. Like what do, what do you think about that argument that they 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 hadn't actually they weren't actually prepared to strike. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, like, I'm in mean, the Teamsters. We're the the largest union in the U.S., and we uh, I work at UPS, which is the largest private sector um, uh, contract in the U.S. And um, we, we were just able to um, elect some new leadership this last year um, after 20 or so years of uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. being in charge, and um, it was just a, a very palpable feeling at the time that uh we weren't gonna strike ever uh that uh we had just given up that tool entirely 
And um, I don't think there was uh, any any effort to make any preparation, even if uh, there were we were passing strike authorizations during uh, contract negotiations with like uh, 90 plus percent of the vote. Um, the membership was completely willing in there, but the, the leadership wasn't. And that's a uh, major issue let across the unions. Let me understand what it means when they say they're not prepared to strike. Does that mean they don't feel like they have enough money in the strike fund? Does that mean that they haven't, they're not like in touch enough with members for you to send out the bat signal and know that everyone's going to comply? Does that mean that they haven't, you know, made enough picket signs? I mean, what, what do they mean? What, Sorry, I sat on my soundboard again and muted myself. What do they, what do they mean? Um, what do they mean they're not organized? I mean, they're in and they're unionized, and that's usually what we're talking about when we're talking about whether or not people are organized. What does the organization within the organ organization look like? Um, I mean, it, it it can vary a bit, but I think the the, the biggest problem and, and the the reason they're they're not willing to strike is that uh union leaders often just don't live the same lives as workers they're making you know two hundred thousand dollars a year they're um you know, we can see a lot of corruption especially under the hofford uh administration and in, in in the teamsters uh that you know people are just taking gifts and kickbacks and just living a really luxurious life um with uh um gifts from the company that they were uh, meant to be antagonistic against, like, it's just, you know, uh, basic Marxism that it's your, you know, your class determines your way of thinking. And, uh, in, in most cases, the union leaders just are not part of the same class. So they have a that, lot that, more in common with the people across the, seat, the bargaining table than they do with us actually doing the work. That, that makes sense, but that doesn't sound like the or you know people aren't ready to strike that 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 the rank and file aren't organized enough to strike that just sounds like you know corrupted captured leadership i mean do you think there's a good faith argument because i was talking to someone and, and it seemed like there's like a good good faith realization you know take it with a grain of salt but the idea that there's a good th- great a good faith realization that like even if we said okay we're okay, let's do it wildcat strike tomorrow or let's say hypothetically that you know they hadn't this legislation hadn't passed, like authorized strike tomorrow, that like they somehow just couldn't pull it off. And I don't even I don't even know what that looks like to not pull it off. Like how do oh. you go into work anyway? Like what is it what does that look like? That you don't have enforcement in place? Like Oh yeah. I, I mean what I, is, I what does it look like? I, I don't think that that's in good faith that they they like didn't actually have any um, ability to. I was just talking about the the leadership of the or the the motivation of the, the leadership. Um, no, I think they could. I mean, maybe their strike funds were low, but I mean, we can figure out ways around that. You know, um, I think it would be very easy to to, to crowdsource this strike uh, uh, um, compared to a lot of them. Um, yeah, I, I think that's just um, just people making excuses because if if the membership isn't is voting against ratifying the agreements then the me- membership is there they, they understand the the consequences of it they're ready to strike yeah i mean that's um, that, that at least for some amount of time like, which is why i don't know man that's that that is why this feels like such a fucking bummer uh, anyway look thank thank you for um for calling in and thank you so much for that recommendation nick thank you keep the faith keep the faith all right amanda What's on your mind? 
Hey, Bree, how are you doing tonight? Oh, never mind. I know how you're doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind? Well, first, for your for, during your opening rant, I I I fully have been where I think you were, and I validate those feelings. I'm it sucks that you have to have them when when that shit happens. Yeah, yeah, well, I appreciate um, that. The the um. And we all have our roles because things, things do need to happen. And part of it is people that are, that are, I'm going to, I'm just going to guess you were in gifted classes in school. You probably finished your tests first in class, maybe. I mean, sometimes I didn't really start to be seen as any kind of exceptional student until high school. Okay, so so even at that time, you know, you get finished before everybody else and you're like, come on, catch up already, right? You're ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. This is the same thing Jimmy Dore experiences. It's the same thing uh-huh. a lot of people experience who have their eyes wide open and are, and are reading like different kinds of sources than just your standard corporate media. And it's very frustrating that other people don't get it. I totally feel that. I have felt that for much of my political life. It's very, uh-huh. it's a very frustrating place to be because you're like, oh, I've been telling you for so long and you still can't get it. I, so I'm, I fully, I feel that totally. Yeah. There, there. I've been working with the group. Um, Andrew kind of was talking about one of the projects they're doing the, United Front Committee for a Labor Party here in the Bay Area. Um, and and in addition to the longshoremen who are are current about to go out on strike, they're in labor negotiations right now and they're not it's not going too well, along with the rest of the ports in California. And you know, UPS's contract is supposed to be up next month. There's almost 50,000 people still on strike with the UC system in California. Mm-hmm. They came to some agreement with a couple of the units, but not, not one of the biggest ones. Did I hear something about somebody crossing a picket line in that today? I don't. About crossing a picket line for UC? Did I UC, didn't I heard something that. about like a group of professors, like some... some there magic- was... There were some faculty that, that did a solidarity thing at Berkeley yesterday. But I don't okay. know any about something. I, I just saw a straight tweet, so ignore me. I could yeah. be like not understanding. <laughs> um, but but I think I think that that having a labor party or a working people's party could is is the place people could land. And I have a question. I, I have a, it's a, more of a strategy, I guess, comms question. Mm-hmm. So we kind of talk about in this room and other places here on call in how how the Democrats aren't left. Mm-hmm. Do you think there might be some utility in starting to refer to certain Democrats as being like the right wing of the Democratic Party to kind of build some extra space that the Democrats aren't left? Yeah, I mean, I find myself often referring to them, like on Rising, for instance, as corporate Democrats. Um, like today, for instance, when I was talking about the Democrats and Republicans having failed, 
there were moments where I wanted to leave a little space for the like three people who aren't complete losers right now. <laughs> so I would say like the corporate Democrats, just in case, you know, so when later, you know, Bernie's not a Democrat, but you know, when if Bernie or Rashida comes, um, comes up later, then there's like a little bit of space for them to say like, okay, well, there, you know, there, are de- there's a degree of range in here, you know, that I will acknowledge, even if it's none of it is where I want it to be. Look, I do think that moderates don't moderates, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, don't hesitate to call progressives left wing, radical, antifa, dangerous. Like they don't they don't hesitate to use those kinds of words. And the word moderate is so sympathetic and friendly. And so I do think there needs to be a shift toward calling them things like corrupt. You know, when when Bernie didn't take the opportunity to support Zephyr Teachout in her article calling Biden corrupt. That was a big tell. Those words have meaning. Bernie knew it, and that's why he was un- unwilling to say it. But he should have said it because it's true. And it's a good thing that those words have meaning. Um, and so, so yes, I, I, I agree with everyone. I agree with you and everyone who's pushed back against the idea of calling these corporatists moderate and i also think you know per the conversation that we had a couple of months ago with cornell west that it's also important to be able to say things like biden's a fascist i'm sorry (laughs) like you you don't have the coordination between business interests in the state that we saw today This, this is actually this is this is especially why it's so depressing you literally saw 400 representatives of business write a letter saying, please act on our behalf. And Biden said, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Like that is definition. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be glib. I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm just trying to be definitionally like yeah. that's fascism. Yeah. I think we need a more catchy thing than fascism. Like I agree. Maybe we it's just start cartoonish using at this point. Neo-fasc. I mean, they have yeah, Antifa. We got to make a mashup or something that that still says because I mean, anti-fascism is in Antifa, but somehow yeah. Antifa is a bad. Yeah, it's wild. I don't, I don't. So, like, maybe there's a way, you know, by starting to use like neo-fascist or something. I don't know. No attachment to it. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to get off because you've had a very long line. Um is we all have our roles and if if push comes to shove time time will tell what's going to happen what the fallout will be they may still do a wildcat strike i think if there were a way that they knew there they had even more support than they think they do perhaps perhaps they would take stronger action and yeah. your role doesn't need to be a role in banging heads or committing violence. I mean, it could be that what happens is the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th are the ones who get to do the violent part and the other people (laughs) get to do some of the other parts of what needs to happen to change everything. Cause we are kind of all in the boat against the same unfeeling, seemingly unfeeling villains. But anyway, yeah. I I I appreciate you. I, I, I feel I feel you. 
and and this too shall pass, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you too. It's always, it's always so nice to talk to you. Well, it's it it's been good on the picket line down at the UC, and and I, at, at some other time I can give you more more detailed stuff. Um, yeah, I, my I show confess- will be on Saturday. I I just posted crowdsourcing revolution. I recorded. There was a big rally in Oakland downtown. And I re- posted the recordings of all the speakers that spoke at the UC. Where, um, where did you post this? In March. Um, here on Call In. Oh, I have great. a show called Crowdsourcing Revolution. Okay, great. Okay, I'm glad uh, I know where to find that because I, I, I need to catch up on what's been going on there. Um, yeah, it's a really good summary. And I just posted it um, a couple days ago. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Amanda. Yeah, you're welcome. Keep, Keep the, the faith. faith. I'm going to go to Dina because you guys are really trying to bait me with these animal photos and it's working. Hello. Hello, Dina. How are you doing? Um, I'm sick currently. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I, you... At least I get to lie in my bed uh, all week. Oh, fair enough. Um, but I'm really glad you picked me because I want to lift people's spirits with some good union news. Okay. Um, so the UAW elections for leadership um, are being counted right now. Um, and it's looking really good for the reform slate. Hmm. Um, so already I think three regional directors uh, have beat the incumbents Um including mine. Um, and so the, the president and vice president um, election will probably go to a runoff. Um, so it's going to be like a really clear um, divide between like the super corrupt um, UAW president. Um, I think his name is Ray Curry. Um, and then I don't remember what his name is, but the, um, reform slate uh candidate um and it, it just the results are looking really good um and it's really exciting because the problem we have such like again like this what we were talking about with the rail workers like the union leadership is such a big problem yeah i think i saw i think again uh jonah Furman tweeting about this a little bit um some good news mixed in with all of the horror show and I thought to myself, oh, I should follow up and look at what this is. And then I couldn't buoy myself to do so. So I'm glad that you, <laughs> glad that you brought it up. But that is some good news. Is there, is there, um, what have the contract negotiations been like at you? I mean, are you similarly in a situation where you've been struggling to get certain kinds of reforms for a while? I mean, is there, um, anything, is there like an agenda that you have in mind that you hope the, the reform slate will pursue? Um, so I actually, I, only started this job in August, so it's it hasn't been that long that I've been a union member. Um, so I don't know exactly what that's all about, um, but I do know that where I work, I work at a legal um, in New York, um, and we are probably going to do a strike authorization vote really soon um, because negotiations have broken down with our management. Um, specifically over uh, raises where they want to give us uh, 1% raises in the middle of uh, 
8% inflation. Mm. Um, or their other counter proposal was they'll give us 3% raises, but instead of having our health insurance premium be a set amount, it would be a percentage of the premium. So it could go up however much, like it could, mm. at any point, it could go up. And management is the one that's negotiating with the health insurance company um, for on the price of the premium. Um, and so like we counter propose with like, okay, how about a percentage of our salary? Cause then we can actually budget. Um, and yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is really the health insurance, um, the, the health insurance. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. These bizarre compromises, they keep offering up. Like it's, it's like almost like an admission that we are not going to make your life substantively better. We'll just shift around where the shit falls. Yeah. No, we originally the ask was for a 15% raise. Yeah. Um, and they keep coming back with 1% or 3% and then you have unpredictable uh, health insurance costs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, monstrous. they've all, we've already done a straw poll, um, on like how willing, people are to strike for a day, a week, indefinitely. Um, and so I think, yeah, we're definitely building the groundwork for, I think it's pretty inevitable that we're going to have to strike because um, it's just, it's unacceptable. Well, look, I'm, I'm glad that the, the vote looks optimistic. Please do keep us in the loop. Um, yeah, I, I don't want us well. to be, I mean, obviously, you know, again, I want to, you know, give credit to, you know, Max and Jonah and the others who have been covering this, but I don't, you know, to the extent that there were a lot of people caught off guard, I don't want that to keep happening. And I want there to be a media presence that feels supportive to all of you guys to the extent that our little lefty media outlets can contribute to that. So please, please do keep calling in and, and keeping me posted. Yeah, definitely. Thank, thank you for calling on me. No, thank you. Um, Pet your cat and keep the faith. I definitely will. He's sitting right next to me like a little little. <laughs> What's his name or her name? Uh, name? Romeo. His name is Romeo. Romeo. Keep the faith, Romeo. <laughs> yeah. Next time I next time I call in, I'll change the picture to another. He has a lot. He, I have a long I have a long list of photos with uh, him being kind of goofy. I bet. I mean, what's the point of having an animal other than just something to fill your entire camera roll with? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thanks again for calling in. Yeah, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Uh, Hazel, what's on your mind tonight, Hazel? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, so I'm an academic student worker at UC, at UC San Diego, and I just wanted to chat a little bit about my experience being on strike for the last three weeks. Please. Um, yeah, like, like people are saying that the UAW is really throwing their workers under the bus. Um, and it's been really frustrating because we've been turning out our departments. You know, this is a historic strike. The con some of the elements of, of the contract are quite radical. There's defund and demilitarize 
piece about campus police, there's disability justice, there's dependent insurance. I mean, some of these things for me feel like the bare minimum, but um, I feel like it has the possibility to set a really amazing precedent, especially like for non-academic workers at the UC. Um, but the union is just, <laughs> it's like, I mean, the, the chief negotiator for UC, like literally jokes with the, about being friends with the UAW, like international rep, like they're, they're just friends. It's what? really dark. It's really, really dark. I, I'm I'm looking at um I just pulled up this LA Times article. It says there's a tentative deal but the strike continues. How accurate is yeah. that? So there's four different units on strike. There's mm. postdocs, academic researchers, student researchers, and then ASCs. I'm an ASC um we're called 2865 UAW, which is like, we're TAs. So mm -hmm. the other people are mostly in STEM. I'm an artist. Um, yeah, they made a TA, they made a TA with the postdocs only, which is like a really small raise that they gave them. And the only thing I remember from the TA is that the childcare that the UAW is touting as like something incredible was like $2,500 a year. <laughs> That's like a care. month of childcare. Literally. Okay. Um, and right, like all these, all these campuses are San Francisco, San Diego, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, like are the yeah. most expensive cities to live yeah. in. Um, and so, but so our, 2865 bargaining team just lowered their offer from 54k as a base wage um, to 42 overnight. Wait, okay. How many understand? Are you are all the four? Are you guys all tethered together the way the um, the 12 rail workers? Uh, trade unions are all tethered together where as one goes all goes or are they trying to offer uh, pacify certain of you with the deals i'm sorry i forget which group the postdocs yeah. who got the ta it's really confusing like i don't know what the union strategy is at all i think in the beginning they were saying that the more of us there are on strike the better but then, so I don't know why they then TA'd that agreement before they had TA'd any of the other ones. Oh, and when you ask God. these people, and these are students too, right? Like they were elected, you know, by other students, but they are being, you know, sold these things by the union leadership, by the executive council, by like, yeah, like, Ray Curry, um, this guy, so Mike Miller. It's so interesting that some, so many of these issues, as I'm reading this article, at least seem to have to do with, you know, like not, not money or funding, but various, um, like, ac ac like academic things. 
which because yeah. it's just in the in the in the in the rail worker example there's this question of you know they want something that's going to change the structure of how the railroads are run and infect profits and this is back and forth and i don't want to lose money some of these things i mean it's saying um how to how to handle grading and final exams um I don't know. There, there's like a diverse. It's 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 an interesting dynamic. I'd be interested to find out more about how like these specific dynamics here in a university context. Yeah. Affect affect the negotiations. Yeah. Well, so I mean, in in your view, what seems to be the biggest kind of non-negotiables from the strikers' perspectives? I mean, it's so when we started out, the union was proposing 54K base wage plus mm-hmm. COLA increase. Mm-hmm. And COLA was right like this big thing with the wildcat strikes three years ago. Mm-hmm. And the union has ended up parroting all the language from the wildcat strike mm-hmm. for this strike, even though they denounced that strike, which mm-hmm. had to make it a wildcat strike. So. Um, so I think for me, COLA has been huge because that like assures that you're going to be able, you're going to, it's going to take you out of rent burden every mm-hmm. year. Um, and, and, you and know, is that people something are, that seems like a, like a non-negotiable for the university? Is that also a sticking point on their end? Do you think it's likely that you're going to get it? No, not at all. I mean, the, the, our bargaining team already took that out. Like it's mm-hmm. gone. It's gone. Yeah. Maybe it's worth maybe it's worth doing a on a UC episode. Maybe I would maybe love like, that. I would love that. It might be good to maybe if I end up getting Jim Burns, we can kind of use this as a test case for some of the, you know, like a, a framework for some of the stuff we talk about that might be useful. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I like organize in so many other contexts, but this is my first time being in a union and I'm just like learning so much and being so disillusioned at the same time because there's such great potential but and and that's why i think that election that was it dina mentioned is so exciting Mm -hmm. because like if we do have you know representatives who aren't taking bribes from the companies they're supposed to be fighting against like that could be huge for workers yeah um, but yeah. until then, I don't know. I mean, like the two bargaining team representatives on for my campus of 7,000 grad student workers are dating each other. <laughs> Wait, it's what? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, we have four. So two out of the four I'm sorry. are dating each other. I'm sorry. The, the, the... Are you sorry? I'm sorry. Yeah. A, a grad student. Who who are these people that are dating each other? It's not one of the. It's it's not one of the union representatives and a university representative, is it? No. So it's like each campus has two bargaining reps who are students. I see. But who are like elected into becoming I bargaining see. reps? Well, you know, they spend so much time together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this tj Holmes story have you guys been following that i'm sorry let me not take us on a frolic and detour the newscasters what? from uh, good morning one of those morning shows that it turns out they're both married to other people but they've been having this affair and the paparazzi no. just took all these photos of uh tj 
taking big handfuls of this woman's behind as they're on some lover's vacation. No. <laughs> no. Well, let me tell you, your girl used to love her some TJ Holmes. When I was like in high school, I thought he was like the handsomest man on the planet. Anyway, he's cheating. (laughs) And both he and his co-host were co-hosting together this morning. Like nothing happened except TJ just kept like it was like hanging heavy in the air. And their third co-host was just sitting between them awkwardly. It, It was it's it's great. The Internet has been welcoming this as a distraction from all the horrors and the Kanye's and all of the nonsense that's happening. So. Um, if you want to just have some mindless, harmless, scandalous fun, get it, get into it, get into the DTJ okay, home scandal. Cute. He's, he's cute. so cute, <laughs> but that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. Um, anyway, sorry. I'm just saying that sometimes people work together and they spend all that time together and then that happens. Yeah. I think unfortunately <laughs> in this case, like he got her the job. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it was one of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thank you for the update. Um, and I'm going to, I think I would like to try to put together an episode on this stuff. So thank you, thank you to you and for Dina for raising, raising this. Yeah. Thanks so much. And just want to say your show keeps me going like deeply. I feel like ungaslit by you and your show. Oh, well, that's, I, that's the best the best compliment i appreciate that so thank you thank you keep the faith keep the faith uh let's go to andre what's under my andre did that work did i do it you with us andre my app's being a little bit glitchy it still says that jaw is the at the front of the queue for me and no one's like leaving when i after i call them so Hello, can you hear me? Hey, there you go. How are you doing, Andre? I'm good, thanks. And you, Bree? Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm going to turn you up a little bit, but I'm already at max. Can you just make sure you speak up a little bit, Andre? Okay, I'm trying my best. Uh, hold on. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. I, I haven't used... Uh, anyway. Um, bear with me. I'm also got adhd in my mind this got at many different places but uh take your time no pressure here um that i want to discuss is um or just bring to light i am a non-us citizen working in america working in a union shop but um as a former south african well, as a current South African living in America, I was witness to the apartheid struggle firsthand. Mm. And I hear people saying all the time, like, something's got to break, something's got to break, something's got to break. Set mm-hmm. uh, or um, despondent, but. At the end of the day, we all just have to stand up and rise together, and we can't wait for everybody else to. We have to somehow do it ourselves because in South Africa there was eighty percent of the ninety percent of the country was fighting for it. Yeah, and sad to say, America's 
bring the rest of them down. America's what? I'm sorry, you just cut out there for a second. America and the British Empire and America head of the apartheid regime. And so I don't know. Um, there's nothing that I have in concrete to prove this point. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's a major coincidence that communism fell in 89, 90, and then Mandela was released in 91. To me, that's, for me, as a South African, that's significant because South Africa, Mandela was supported by the USSR. The, the threat for, for South Africa for, wasn't as strong, I believe, mm. anymore. And I don't know if that's maybe why they didn't have the support of the USSR. But I grew up, my best friend went missing when I, I don't know mm. where he ended up. I think he ended, might have been murdered by the police, might have ended up fighting for the resistance. But I, to this day, I don't know. Jesus. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, what did it what did it feel like for you? I mean, you say, you know, you're you're in a situation where 90% of the country feels like something has to happen and at some point there's a tipping point. Do you remember what it, do you have any sense of what it felt like if it was just purely random, if there was a spark, if it was um, a build? I I, I was I was sheltered and propagandized to tell me that the 90% were all in the wrong. Mm. And it took my older sister to travel to the world to let me know that, no, what you've been told is not the truth. We're living in sheltered lives and what's happening is not the case. Mm. Um, We were propagandized to the, the nth degree. You know, I, let me ask you this. This is a little bit unrelated, but I don't know if you've been following. There's this story about um, the owner of the Cowboys and the football team, and he was pictured as a 14 year old in Alabama at the site of one of these schools that was getting integrated, and he was in the crowd of white students protesting integration. And that this picture just recently serviced and people are talking about what this means and, you know, what it means, you know, does he hold racist beliefs and, you know, what is, what are the implications for him being the owner of a football team and all, you know, this disproportionately black sport and, you know, was it fair to assume that a 14 year old who was, you know, a kid and obviously propagandized as you put it, you know, is it fair to assume that he had those beliefs then or that he still holds them now? Um, and you know, how, how, you know, how, how, how much should this picture matter? What should his response be? Does he have to apologize? Does he have to give some accounting of how his beliefs changed or demonstrate? I mean, as someone who obviously lived through a transition that was much more recent, 
then that kind of, you know, mid-century integration. I wonder how you feel about having, you know, having come through one of those transitions yourself and having been in the experience of having beliefs kind of projected onto you and incepted into you potentially just because of the way you were raised and what you think about, you know, how to judge figures like that from the past. Um, it's tough. Yeah. Jerry Jones. Thanks. Thanks. Anya. Like, do I hold things against kids? Yeah. Responsible for, for what they did as kids when they were propagandized? No, I'm a lot more forgiving of kids. But as people become older and more knowledgeable, supposedly become more knowledgeable, hopefully become more knowledgeable. Some, I mean, I go in yo yo's, some days I'm. Hopeful other days I'm really depressed of people not being um, but then I have to look at my own history and like when I thought I knew things and then 10 years later I'm like no I didn't know a thing back then so I feel like yeah. sometimes I'm going on a I was at the top of the dining crew <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm of I'm of I'm of two minds about this, I think. I think that I think that there is a I, I agree that him being a child inclines me to be open to the fact that, you know, his beliefs evolved or that whatever his beliefs were then weren't necessarily really his own. But I am a little ambivalent about the idea of assuming that that's the case without any interrogation whatsoever. You know, like, I'm sure you knew people who miss the good old days, just as you knew people who very much wanted change to happen or very much embraced change or reflected back and said, oh, gosh, I'm so embarrassed about what I used to believe. And then other people, just like we have people today who, like, very much wish that we lived back in the 50s or even an earlier period of time. And are kind of open about it. I know far too many, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's like I'm inclined to say, like, I'm I'm open to him explaining why, you know, he's embarrassed and, you know, very much distancing himself from that. But there does seem to me to be like a weird presumption that he absolutely doesn't just be, that doesn't hold on to any racist beliefs just because it happened a long time ago. Or just because he's a kid. Like, I, I'm inclined to believe it, but I just, I need there to not be just that presumption or something, you know? No, I don't think there should be a presumption whatsoever that any of his beliefs has changed. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, I won't necessarily hold him accountable for things that he did as a kid up until, yeah. I mean, you've, by the age of 10, 11, I mean, I guess I had a, experience which uh, what um traumatic experience which made me question a lot of things but mm. about what was happening but not everybody was privy to that but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a disc it wasn't even discussed at school at high school like it started becoming people started talking about it 
and there were many of us. I felt like I was, um, f for some time in my life, I, I feel like I was the, the white moderate that MLK speaks about. Mm. Um, I was thinking that I was doing the best for people instead of just listening to them what they want and then just and just remembering it's I don't know what it I I I, I can only imagine what what they had to do and struggle through but I can't tell you a 100% certainty all it's 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 just from what I've been told um, and from what I saw. But what I do know is that my when I started learning about it, um, and ironically, I learned about it through watching a movie which was banned in South Africa called Cry Freedom, um, which was... I mean, apart from my sister, but a movie called Cry Freedom, which is actually played by Denzel Washington, mm. um, about a guy who's become my hero, Steve Biko, along with Nelson, but, um, and his struggle and how he got caught. Um, mm. And it was, it was banned, huh? Yeah, yeah it was ba the book was banned in South Africa, mm. and the movie was banned. I mean, now it's not banned. Now you can watch it easily in South Africa, but... At the time when it was made, it was forbidden to be seen in South Africa. Um, because I think if the people who could afford to watch movies watched it, some of them may realize that what was happening was not what they were being told. Um, and that was basically the white population who could afford to go watch a movie at that time. Because that's how major the divide was. Um, that's so interesting. May May but, I ask how, how old you are, just to get a sense of you know how I'm old you are when you know all this I'm was happening. 48. I'm forty eight, and I was seventeen when Mandela got released. Yeah. But my God, what a time. Point, my point is that, or, or, or one of my points is that what I've I was on the Justice Stems bandwagon year a few years ago. Mm. Uh, and I mean, I was with you on the forced vote and I watched your debate with Sam and I'd seen you on Sam's show like bef like a year and a half before that when Michael was still around. Yeah. Um, so I knew you, you, you had been friendly with Sam and with Michael yeah. and all that. So you knew them well. So, yeah. so I mean, I've, and I'd listened to a lot of, of Sam at the time and Jimmy, and I knew their beef, but um, the, the Sam was so disingenuous in the debate with you. I mean, you just couldn't leave, as we, I don't want to react. You know, you were part, you, you were there. Yeah, um, unfortunate. But, <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. But just what I've learned, or, or what I'm continue observing is that like when they got civil rights in the USA they they didn't have anybody in Congress 
they didn't have a single person. When they got change in South Africa, they didn't have a single person in Congress. There were some who were sympathetic to it. Um, but it was years and years of protesting and revolutions and bloody, bloody fighting in the streets, um, uneven fighting. Um, and I, I don't know, I've put my faith in leaders and politicians to my detriment. I mean, I, I'm really disappointed in like what Bernie and the squad have become like, mm -hmm. and, and a friend of mine who worked for the US government before and he, he warned me, he said, oh no, they'll do the same. I said, what do you mean? Because this has been tried before. This is not a new thing. They've done it for 40 years. Every five, ten, eight years, there's a new breed of these new progressives who are going to change the Democratic Party and they all fall flat. So I'm pretty sure this, this will happen the same. I'm like, wow. And um, I had to call him like... <laughs> A year ago, I'm like, you were right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, Look, I, I think that your point about how little internal support, this idea of this inside-outside game, it's not exactly how things have been done in the past when there have been successes. And I think that's an important point. And, to and I'm not saying, uh, yeah, and I'm not saying that they can't be they have I've seen success with in, oh, some inside-outside games too, but like, I'm just, uh, um, what was the other thing that I wanted to mention? Oh, like, for instance, if the, if there's an, if there's an overreaching power, which supports the government who's in power, even if that government doesn't have full support, for instance, in South Africa, it was Britain and the USA supporting the government. And in South Africa, it was the USSR and Cuba supporting the resistance for the little that they could. Um, and Palestine, but in Palestine, you don't just have half support. I mean, you've got half the country supporting the Israel and Israel's got the support of the United States once again. So, mm -hmm. um, and Palestine's hello was like four hundred. Andre, yeah, sorry, I, I oh, sorry, you cut out a little bit. I got a phone call. My landlord's collecting rent. I'm sorry. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where's my button? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, I, um, I lost my train of thought now. I'm uh, sorry. And, and, uh, I, I know the queue is long, so I, 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 I'm, I'm going to pass it over to somebody else. Thank you for taking my call. Well, really thank you for calling in. I, 
you, you've been so thoughtful and so compassionate um, in everything that you've said today. I, I really, I've really enjoyed hearing from you. I hope, I hope you call in again sometime, Andre. Thank you. I will do. Thank you. All right. Appreciate Keep it. the faith. Thank you for everything you do. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Sly. What's going on with you tonight? Sylvester, you with us? I can't tell if it's on my end because, like, my queue is fr- is frozen in place. So I-, I talk to you guys and you'll become unmuted, but you don't move place in the queue. No one's bounced out of the queue. My queue still looks like Ja, Andrew, Amanda, Hazel, Sylvester, Grace, Jonathan. Like, nobody's moved for me. So I think I'm making Sylvester the next caller, but no one has moved into the actual caller number one spot since Jaw. So I don't know what I don't know what this is, and I don't know. Sylvester? No, I think I still hear Andre and his puppy. What's going on? Okay, let me just let me just X out of this real quick. Yeah, I still. Hello? Can you guys hear me? Oh, I'm still got. Oh, okay. Uh, Can you hear me? There you go. All right. Oh, we live. We live. (laughs) Diana, Joy Gray, first of her name, forged in in fire and brimstone. You sure you couldn't be a sixer? (laughs) You're ridiculous. You sure you you couldn't storm the. the, I'm just covering my bases, Sylvester. This this is my plausible (laughs) deniability. I'm going to use this clip. When I'm on trial, <laughs> listen. I'm, I'm you, the, the dexterity and discipline and strength I saw that you had and constraint with with Chank when you had that little interview. I'm, I can see. I think you can handle a little a little capital storming. I'm just saying. That, that, that's just my my personal my personal opinion. Um, but but B, I think we we got a big problem. Yeah. We got a big problem. Uh, even I know when we talk about our Congress members, right? A lot of times, you know, progressives and things like that, we talk about the votes. We don't like the votes that that they take. And I think we got an even bigger problem than that. Um, I don't think that our Congress members can count. What do you mean? Now, last time I checked, seven wasn't fifteen. Right? <laughs> Yo, okay. So I asked. Um... You heard me. I, I, I asked Ross I'm about this asking, during the interview because because Bernie, when Bernie came out saying that he wasn't going to sign anything with less than with, with less than seven, six, day, six days, I was like, Ross, like, I, are we are we making a mistake and even applauding that? Is is Bernie basically setting the groundwork for a compromise that's been like prearranged so that it looks like there was a progressive victory when really he just sold the union's demand short. And you heard Ross say, like, no, that's what, you know, the unions, like, they agreed and support, supported that Mm-mm. statement. You're saying no? I know. Every person that is actually, like, a railroad worker that I've ever seen say anything about it, at least two weeks. Mm-hmm. Unscheduled, paid mm-hmm. sick, sick mm-hmm. leave. But for whatever reason, all I keep on here, Bernie Sanders, Jamal, I, even Jamal, I really, <laughs> Jamal be grinding my gears. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> what, what particular beef, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but what particular beef do you have with Jamal? 
What has he been saying? Because he no, he just be trying so hard. And like he tried to do the young hip hop thing, so you know it's real corn on the cob vibes I'm getting from him. And then is the bald head and the, I'm not not okay. No, it's just it's a lot. It's a lot that's going on. And then I'm not gonna lie, I probably do have a little personal, you know, personal beef with him because I I met I met him, and I gave him a sweater, and I had all these revolutionaries on him. And I was at the time I was uh, <laughs> just called me disillusioned at the time. I thought he was going to be about something and do a little mm-hmm. something, you know, because he, he got on top of a bucket and he said a couple <laughs> things to some young kids. Not a bucket. Protesting. <laughs> <laughs> Even the bucket, the bucket, the bald head, the glass. I'm not, you know, let me stop. Let me stop. But it's a lot that's going on. But and him and then, you know, he was really, you know, pushing this number seven. Mm-hmm. tough and the whole time i'm thinking they, they can't count mm-hmm. and we voted him in yeah you know he was my mother's representative in mount vernon new york and he was I thought, I thought <laughs> well when he was running you know the first time he came by her house and my mom talks to every single person who comes to the door. Her best friend's mom is a Jehovah Witness. And so she like categorically, <laughs> she's like, what if it's Felicia's mom? So she like just will not not answer the door and invite whomever in. So apparently Jamal Bowman was sitting in her living room for like two hours. And they had wow. a big, good, long chat. And my mother came away with it saying, well, I hate Elliot Ingalls. So I want to vote for him. <laughs> But I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this weather. And, I don't know like, and my, impre- this my impression is like similar. Like you, you hoped well, with all of them. You know, you have this moment of really, really hoping that this is going to mm-hmm. be it. And then, but my my mother saw it before I did. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and, and the th- the thing with, but then this is the place where I guess I get a little bit of of peace with it now. Where I get a little bit of peace with it now. And what I have to remind myself, and I feel like we should all be reminding ourselves, is that it's not, even though I guess, you know, we elect them and things like that, it's not their job to do the things that we want them to do. It's our job to create the conditions Mm -hmm. that force them to do the things that we want them to do. Here's what's so irritating, Sylvester. Like, I completely agree. And so I feel like it's our job. I feel like it's my job as a member of the lefty media to be clearly articulating the way that this could have gone differently and to clearly articulate my support for workers if they decide to do a wildcat strike or whatever they plan to do. Or, you know, that, that is what I feel like my role is. However, in mm-hmm. saying that and calling out the bait and switch of the progressives and calling out Biden's ineptitude here, or insincerity here, mm-hmm. I have to contend with a bunch of these apologists on the left who are getting in my way of doing what I think is the only productive thing for someone in my position to do right now, including, I, I got to I'm like really trying not to start beef, but I have been, I'm like kind of galled by some of the labor reporters I've seen in particular, <laughs> one person I'm thinking of in particular who has like, an, look, this, this person obviously knows so much more about labor than I do that I'm, I'm reluctant to like be mad, but they were also very against Force the vote, if I recall correctly. I remember sub- subscribing to their Substack because I so appreciate their reporting. And then immediately after, I think mm-hmm. it was around the pro, uh, maybe the pro act stuff. 
them saying something real snarky about me on Twitter and like angrily unsubscribing. <laughs> but like, I know their <laughs> content is important and good. And I'm trying like to not let personal beef get in the way that I've been following their content like throughout all of this. But I saw like today the quick pivot to, well, this is the thing they're going to be fighting for next. And maybe they're going to get it through this executive order. And like, okay, maybe they will. Maybe, maybe we're all too cynical and maybe they will. And I hope that they do. But just to, to talk about it so credulously in a way that has the effect of providing cover. You know what I mean? Like, can you be mad for a day before you just kind of, like, usher us all on to the mm-hmm. next thing? Like, it, 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 it's, it doesn't sit with me entirely right. No, and, I, and I, I'm with you on that. But, you know, so here, here's, and then here's my thing with that. And I feel like this is where, like, the difference or where the change is, is going to end up happening. So, like, when you say you got to deal with the apologists, what do the apologists do? They talk. I ain't not really doing anything, say, like, on the ground, but they talking. And because of the media apparatus and everything and the, the echo chamber that, that we exist in, there's not going to be any way that we can out-talk them. And then that's where we have to outdo them, and that's where the, the on-the-ground portion comes You're in. Right. Because You're right. Lyndon B. Johnson, he, he, you know, he didn't want to. He didn't just wake up one day and say, "You know what? I'm gonna sign this civil rights bill. This is the thing that I need to go ahead and do." You're right. <laughs> yeah, I just wish they would like leave me alone and stop texting me and shit. Like, let me tweet. Like, you don't agree let with me? me like, leave shit. me alone. <laughs> like, this is none of your business. Get out of my DMs. <laughs> stop trying to convince me of something. I will not be convinced. <laughs> And you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was blessed. And if you ever, if you know, you ever find yourself in LA, you definitely gotta, you know, visit No Names, uh, book club. Um, and uh, Harold, Harold Welton, Harold Welton, we were blessed to, you know, have a filming with him. And he, he did a movie. It was called The Liberation of Fremont High, and it was talking about, uh, you know, the students organizing. Um, at the school, funny that we just talking about Jerry Jones and everything like that, because like the white kids were, you know, pushing back against the integration that was happening in the school. And that led to walkouts and things like that. And I even have a comment on that. But then, uh, you know, Harold was talking and then I asked him, I said, because, you know, these OGs and he was one of them OGs that like once he start talking, he going to keep mm-hmm. on talking. And then like 40 minutes in, he gonna be like, are y'all still here? Y'all good? Can I, you know, he go, he's one of those ones. <laughs> And he was talking, I asked him, I said, what do you feel like is the biggest difference between like the organizing that was happening when you was coming up to like, where we are right now? And he sat, he was quiet for a second. And then the first thing, first thing he said was social media. And when he said social media, I said, at first I was thinking like, okay, maybe he's going to have like an old head approach of it. Like get off my lawn, like type of, you know. Uh, you know, shitting on the kids a little bit. That's what I thought he was going to say at mm-hmm. first. And then he said, social media is a good thing. And I like it. And it helps folks get aware and they're learning things and they have much like they're seeing things that they wouldn't have seen back in the day. But then he said that the organizing that we were doing was a lot more horizontal and community based. And the way he phrased it was that social media was very horizontal where he felt like it was leading to inaction mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you could just post about it. You could just share it. And then you almost, you feel like you did something and you can pat yourself on the back about it. Like, uh, 
I saw Jay Williams talking about the, the Jerry Jones thing. And this type of virtue, virtue signaling, I'm really fed up, especially when it's coming to people that look like us, because I expect better, you know, from us. But, you know, Jay Williams was on ESPN and he was just like, I need Jerry Jones to be held accountable and then drum roll. And it was, I need him to openly denounce racism. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, what is that going to mm-hmm. do? So, yeah, I mean, if you want to just put out a statement, the man is going to put out a mm-hmm. statement. But the thing is, and then my issue with it, I know I understand he was 14 and everything, but then now this man is a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? This brother, 14 net worth. I know you said don't believe the network. <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes. No, what is this who have like SEC filings and stuff? Like, fine. But someone who just <laughs> literally made up a number for me, honey, none of my, I don't have any public financial disclosures. <laughs> you know, you're just making up number one, one to five million dollars. <laughs> look, from, hey, from, keep that 1.5 in the Cayman look, Islands. Look, it's all, we ain't got to talk about Five million dollars from your lips to God's ears, okay? <laughs> Whoever wrote that up. <laughs> But is this so this brother is one of these, you know, he's a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? Also remember that when Colin Kaepernick was um, you know, when he was kneeling, he made sure he said nobody on this team, nobody on this plantation is gonna be kneeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and again, when you look at someone who's hoarding that much wealth, I mean that whole that it's anti black in and of itself, mm-hmm. you know, because of the exploitation that that's rooted in, that it's connected in, and when you connect all the dots. That's where, for me, it's not about whether Jerry Jones, you know, you know, likes or dislikes black people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the, the structural, you know, and the, the impact and the effects that uh, his living, his lifestyle, the amount of resources that he's withholding, which is the part that I would rather that brother had got on ESPN and said, oh, Jerry Jones, should, you know, since he was uh, blocking black folk from getting education, he should invest a billion mm-hmm. into black mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. The brothers still have about 13 billion mm-hmm. left. Yeah. But then we get, we get caught up in, let me do the social media. Let me go do the, you know, <laughs> like the, the outrage on social media. And then I did my job and I can pat myself and I can feel good when back in the day, if you wanted to feel good and feel like you did something, you had to go knock on your neighbor's door. Yeah, I I don't care about denouncements. I mean, like back when we were still in that kind of like, um, what was? Remember when we were in that phase where everything was about we need to have a reckoning about race? That kind of like Tommy's oh, yeah. Obama era. Why people were kneeling everywhere. I remember during that time. I, was like, I don't care <laughs> <laughs> what you say about race. It was like in the context of all that reparation <laughs> stuff, and like the end of. If mm-hmm. I ever call, I don't want to misrepresent him, but I feel like the end of that reparations article, which was excellent, by the way, but the end was all like, apart from the bit that threw Bernie under the bus, but the end was all like, we need to just have a conversation. Like, I was like, we've been having these commissions on conversations about That's thinking awesome. about considering yeah. whether the thing could possibly be. I, and I and I'm, I'm tired of that. So I, I'm I'm with you. There was this half a second during the Me Too era where a bunch of the men were making these statements and everyone was like, fuck that, do something. And it felt like we were getting closer to what a conversation about actual um, penance looked like. Mm-hmm. But no one actually, like we, we didn't go all the way there. And that's the problem. And that's why when people transgress, there has to be penance. There has, there has to be a path to absolution, but people don't like talking about that because we don't have a, we don't have a roadmap for penance. So people think that absolution just means getting off scot-free. So the, the, the options are excommunication forever for a, a misdeed <laughs> or getting off scot-free. 
And it's like, no, 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 no. We have to do the hard work of figuring out what it would look like to have a sincere apology, to really make amends. And I don't know if it's because we don't have a spiritual tradition collectively anymore or what, but we don't know what penance looks like. And that's part of what I'm interested in, like what I was talking to Andre about in the South Africa context when I'm interested in this Jerry Jones thing. I'm not interested in saying anything that you did when you were 14 matters forever. I'm not interested in saying that something you did five years ago lasts forever if, if there are steps taken. But that's the hard part, and just everyone stops there. What are those steps? What and, feels good? What is re- re- retributive justice? And you, and you just said it right there. It's hard work. I was listening to, I think, uh, Maryam Kaba, mm-hmm. and she was talking about, you know, punishment and, and things like that. And she was talking about how, again, people avoid, you know, in terms of abolition, when we talk about reconciliation, because that being a part of it, people avoid that part because it's hard to do that. And it's a lot easier to just punish someone and put them off into the ether. And then the other thing that she said that we have to also acknowledge and be honest with ourselves about it, but most people, if not all people, get a little something from being able to wield that power over somebody. And it's, it's easy to do. Um, And I think it feeds into like some of our not best impulses. And I think, you know, that's when you see, you know, the faux cancel culture and how people will pile on um, onto like certain issues and things like that, because, you know, seeking their their pound of flesh, but then they don't go past anything after that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Let's go ahead. And, and, and what yeah. would you make of, um, did you see, we talked about the sun rising this morning in a segment that I'm sure rising never thought we were going to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the LeBron, sometimes I, I sprinkle a little bit of black stuff in there just to see how it, how it goes over. <laughs> Cause everything, black people are big on the internet. I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> like, we, we are all on the internet. Um, what happened with LeBron? So, I mean, what ooh, happened? Let me see if my, if my computer LeBron. isn't bad. I'll just play it for you because it's been on like red forever. No, it finally died. Um, so he made a statement. He was at a press conference, and that the, I guess it was in the press conference. He was like, look, I just want to point out that you guys have asked me nonstop since the Kyrie Irving debacle, which I'm sure you guys all know about. Kyrie Irving sent, uh, tweeted out a link to a video about black Israelites that I haven't watched, but mm-hmm. apparently has a bunch of anti-Semitic <laughs> tropes in it, including Holocaust denial. And LeBron was like, you've been asking me about the Kyrie Irving situation in every press conference, and no one once has asked me about the Jerry Jones situation. And it seems like that's just kind of very quickly faded out of the ether, and no one's wanted to talk about it. And so I just want to put that to you journalists, that I'm, I'm disappointed at that focus. Uh, I, this is what this is this, this, this is what I say, and Bron knew what he was doing, and it's funny because it's actually like threads of like Bron. Basically, folks have been calling out Bron because he be lying a lot, but he be lying and not. I don't even know if he knows he's lying. He just be wait. What is he lying about? Be, don't 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 talk about my LeBron. Don't talk about my Cleveland boy like. No, that. I love LeBron. No, I love LeBron. It's actually like it's funny because he's lying, but it makes me like him more because it's just like, dude, you're like. <laughs> There's like a whole, like, just look, Twitter, and then just LeBron, and then lies, and then, like, a whole bunch of, like, a whole thread of him just making it. Like, someone had asked him, <laughs> he said that he watched The Godfather, like, ten times or something like that. Like, it's one of his favorite movies. And then after, uh, one like, an NBA final game or something like that, one of the reporters is just like, 
Can you name one quote from The Godfather that you really like love? <laughs> he started awkwardly laughing. And he was just like, man, I mean, I mean, the movie's so long. I mean, there's so many quotes that you can just pick okay, from the movie. Okay, maybe he's just not like a notable, quotable guy. No, I'm telling. No, you just look it up. It's a lot of. It's a lot. It's a lot. But it's funny. It's like it's it's funny. But the thing with LeBron, I'll comment on that. The, um, and with him making that statement, um, that was him kind of doing the virtue signaling thing. Because I don't. He. I don't think he planned on going into it any deeper than that. He highlighted that. Hey, listen, y'all haven't asked me about Jerry Jones or anything like that. But then, like, even LeBron is not going to take it any step deeper than that. But he wanted to throw some shade towards Jerry in that situation. And because that's kind of easy to do. Everybody's piling on. Piling but they're on not. Stephen A. It. Smith is on TV defending Jerry Jones. Like, a lot of these people, a lot of these people are defending him. The, the people, like, a lot of the people who are like, Will Smith needs to be thrown into jail for slapping Chris Brown. Or, like, okay. don't ask questions okay. about okay. Yeah, Jones. Yeah. Okay. No, you're right. No, you're right. But then, like, what? Okay, but then even LeBron, when he said it, he said, I don't even want y'all to ask me any questions about it. About? At the end. About? Of, about Jerry. He said, I just wanted to I just wanted to put that out there. Wait, I thought you hadn't seen it. Are you sure he said don't ask me any questions no. about it? No, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. He said that at the end. He's just like, I, I'm not even, I don't even want to hear any, like, I don't even want any questions about it. I just wanted to put that out there to y'all that I noticed that you didn't ask me any questions about uh jerry the way that you were about Kyrie, so he didn't want to take it anywhere he brought it up but he didn't really want to take it anywhere which is i don't know i i guess i have mixed feelings i i do feel like there is a i mean i don't know i haven't watched every instance of lebron being asked about Kyrie and whether or not he was asked kind of to, to give the same answer over and over and over again which happens, definitely happens. And I can understand why that would be annoying to have to answer for somebody else's behavior beyond saying, obviously, I don't support anti-Semitism. And I do think that there is a way that all black people, and I understand that they played on a team together and stuff, but like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't hear a bunch of people when like, you know, when, when Epstein or Harvey Weinstein or whatever go down for something, I don't see every celebrities that actually have relationships with them aren't asked about their relationship, right? Like Bill, Bill Gates sits down for interviews every day of the week and people don't ask about your actual relationship with this man and, and like your visit to the actual island, much less just asking random Jewish people how they feel about it, right? And so I, no, you I, I do think that there is a, like there's a there there in, t in terms of the difference of how people are being treated in those scenarios. And I can understand the energy, especially given that there seems to be like a lot of energy to brush under the rug, the Jerry Jones thing. But, you know, I'm not a sports person. I'm just taking these drips and drabs that come across <laughs> my feed in the shade room tweets and Instagram posts and such. No, I, and I, I tagged you on Twitter and some of, in a thread of his lies. It's funny. Like I, and again, I'm, I'm I need you to, stand. you know like, what? Cleveland has I been through enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was real funny, but um, and then last thing, I, and I'll, I'll hop off because I, I did you, you know, you commented on the T.J. Holmes, yes, thing, and I've been keeping it. And that <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite thing in the world. Look, the Kanye stuff is too deep, like it's too unpleasant. You just, you yeah, just, it's even he's getting to he a weird just place. tweeted he's to a, a weird symbol place. that was the star of David intertwined with the swastika, and I had to log off.
I can't keep. I, up I was with like, it. I don't know that I can have this man on my yeah. timeline. I might have to just fully unfollow and mute. Yeah, it's it's not. But, but the TJ but stuff the, is the, fun. TJ, <laughs> oh man, and he, I'm saying, he is so funny. Like the <laughs> the way his awkward pauses <laughs> and the laughs and everything. It's. <laughs> but. I was watching it and I said, wow, you know, but like you said earlier, you know, they work together, you know, they, you know, they're together a lot and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, I, I, feel, I feel bad for the, I guess the respective mm-hmm. spouses in the situation and stuff. But then I was just like, wow, now I'm, I have to look at all of my favorite co-anchors a certain way. I got to look at their chemistry and I'm just like, I hope we don't, don't you even say we it. have to worry about. Do we have to don't, worry about it? Don't D? you even. Robbie and I were joking about this this morning, and I said, I swear to God, so you want to say some ignorant shit? <laughs> so you say some ignorant shit, you better not. <laughs> I swear on all things holy for many, 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 many reasons. That's not anything that should be a concern of anybody's. <laughs> Rob, oh, Robbie's wife can sleep soundly. <laughs> oh man! I'm just like yo. I'm like yo. I know Greasy like the jog. If I ever see you know, <laughs> now, I do like to jog, and I love a running man. Okay. So if I ever get cast at a bench with T.J. Holmes, that blonde woman that he's having an affair with is better look over her shoulder. Is all I have to say. Because your girl does like a runner. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then let me go ahead and hop off. You know, now that you know, I can sleep peacefully at night now that you put that rumor to bed <laughs> okay thank you for being so messy <laughs> sylvester god damn <laughs> and robbie's wife can sleep so peacefully, peacefully. i hear she's wonderful bed. i can't wait to meet her at the next work mixer <laughs> <laughs> yo and you know they said that tj and her kids and they play dates yeah they have pictures of all four of them hanging out all the time no I feel That's bad so for his bad. wife. Like, I remember when he got married because, you know, I was... Well, you don't feel bad for her husband? I mean, like, I don't know him. Like, God bless, but I don't know him. You don't know her? Oh, no, I'm about to say, I do know her because I remember when TJ got married. Oh, shit. I remember when TJ got married and I was like, oh, no. Let me look her up because I really thought I was going to marry TJ Holmes. I really thought in my soul that I was going to marry TJ Holmes. So I looked her up and she was a pretty black lawyer and I couldn't be mad about it. You know, she's beautiful. Mm. She's black. She's a lawyer. You put the fist, you put the fist up. Like, so yeah. I was like, you know, okay, he basically married me. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking this personally is all I'm saying. Uh, like. Well, at least it wasn't you because if you would have married you, then. You okay, but now, now I'm it, right? set up for the Uno reverse, you see? Uno. <laughs> 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We can stop being. This ain't the shade room. Let's let me go ahead. Fuck off. Fuck off. Oh, I should get me in trouble, Sylvester. Okay. Goodbye. Keep the faith. Bye. <laughs> okay. Let me go to um Levi. I don't think I've seen Levi in here before. What's on your mind? You with us, Levi? Did I catch you off guard? Did you think? Oh, I'm all the way in the back. There's no way. There's no way I'm gonna get called on. Is that what you thought? Did you think, oh, I, I had time to run in the bathroom. I had time to just load this load of dishes. I was just going to run this dog out around the block real quick, and there's no way, there's no way she's going to call on me before I'm back. Look, that's tough. It's a gamble that we all make. I understand it's a 
It's a game we all play. People have lives going on. No one's just sitting here stationary for three hours of a call, unless you're me. And, you know, sometimes this is the way the cookie crumbles, and uh, you miss your slot. And I am sorry for you, Levi, that that happened. But after 45 seconds of talking to myself, I believe it's time for me to move on. So... I'm going to, ooh, this is tough because, like, I see favorites, but, like, also I talk to the favorites a lot, but, like, everybody here pretty much calls it a lot. Maybe not Nathan. Nathan, you seem like a relatively new face. What's in your mind? Hey, so I was, I almost ended up in Levi's position because a couple minutes ago I was in the bathroom. (laughs) And this is the fun, this is the funny thing. I was at work a couple hours mm-hmm. ago and I got in right at seven and I had this stream going on all the way until now. So you could have caught me while I was like, I don't know, um, cleaning a bathroom <laughs> or vacuuming something. And then I wouldn't know what to do. But anyway, thanks for the chance to call. I'm glad it worked out for both of us. <laughs> right. The it, Good luck, I guess. But anyways, I, there's a couple things that I want to talk about, but fortunately, everyone covered okay. two, two out of the three. The one about uh, left-wing January 6th, um, so th- that's what I'm going to call it, a left-wing version of January 6th, or, or as you could say, storm the Capitol for Medicare for all, I suppose. And then the other one, I can't remember exactly, but it already got covered. But the, the, what, what I want to talk about is... This is something that no one has ever mentioned with the railroad strike, but I don't know why, which is that the railroad strikers, does anyone actually believe that they're all uber progressive on social issues or that they're just going to be perfectly in alignment with maybe someone like you or Crystal or Kyle or any, or someone like that on trans and LGBT and all that? Does, I don't think people actually believe no. that. Right. And, and, and the reason why I mention that is because I don't see the, I don't see this explicitly, but I kind of see it in the background, basically. Well, there's a, there's this big portion of the left that I'm going to call, they're not, they're not explicit about it, but they're obviously not religious and they seem to have a certain disdain for religious people. And I'm going to be very open. I attend a church that a lot of people would call bigoted. And I'm not going to, like, name names or anything, okay? All I'm going to say is this is a male commentator on the left. I guess that doesn't narrow it down too much. But multiple times he has said that all, quote, fundamentalist or conservative religious people are bigots. And he's also explicitly stated multiple times that he would support having the state come in and forcing a church to do a gay marriage, even though the church I go to doesn't support that. And also a church is not a public, uh, what is it called? It's not a a public space like Mm -hmm. a gas station or a community center. And the thing about it is you could, you can just kind of say, well, no one cares about that, but People actually really care about that. Someone who's devout like myself, we actually care about that stuff because one of our issues is, are we going to have our rights respected? And, and I just don't understand what, 
maybe you have more insight than I would. I'm going to stop talking very soon, but I just want to ask you this question to start off with. Maybe you have insight about it. The, the, the people who would, the people who you know would be fine with doing what I mentioned, forcing a church to do a gay marriage they don't want to do. Are they aware of the fact that the courts would strike it down immediately or are they just doing it for the lulls? So I don't know anybody like that. That feels like a performative person on the internet. Well, yes, but again, like I don't want to mention the name, but I've seen this multiple times. And one of them is a commentator I watch regularly. I don't want to name any name because then you'd have to have the person on. I mean, that just... Or, or maybe... Or, or maybe it wouldn't be a problem, and I could mention their name. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to. I mean, I, I think it's a, you're allowed to say that you disagree with people. Um, but I disagree with that person, <laughs> and right. I think I think that feels performative. I mean, there's one thing to say like I don't think churches should get tax exempt status. I think there's a principal argument mm-hmm. for that. But just saying I want, you know, so you know, someone believes that covering their hair is necessary to be compliant with God. Oh, I'm going to snatch off people's hair covering. I mean, like, that's just, just being rude and mm-hmm. stupid and stop. I mean, that's like the attitude I had about religion I, when I was like 15, like, and was watching religious and loving Bill Maher. You know what I mean? Like grow up. Yeah. I guess to put it a different way. So let's imagine we're in a scenario where we're trying to organize on the left and you have someone like me who goes and wants to join and they're open about their religious beliefs. And they presumably, if they're joining up with people, a lot of whom would be LGBT or something like that, which I have no problem with, because when it comes to politics, I'm very materialist, but I'm still a very spiritual person. What I mean is when you're in that moment where you're trying to organize workers or the middle class or uh, you know poor people, if they attend a church which is not affirming, which would be basically most churches and correct me if I'm wrong, most historically black churches. Cause I've never heard anyone question uh, Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock's preaching on sexuality before. And they never would. Well, what is, right? What's this preaching on sexuality? I thought he came from a pretty, I mean, I, he, I know that he's a minister of Martin like, Luther King's church. I, is it not a progressive I, I'm church? Just giving it a, I'm just giving it as an example. I just want to, I just raise the question. Well, I don't want to bring which, Raphael Warnock into would, it and raise the implication that he doesn't right. come from an affirming church if he in fact does. I don't know, but what I, what I mean is that I've noticed this, where, where people, you know, who I guess would identify, a, a lot of them are more just performatively kind of, you know, their, um, what do I put it, their lifestyle leftist, if you know what I mean. But it doesn't matter because they use the term leftist and a lot of people are going to lump us all together, which is that they will go hard on the paint against uh, against conservative Christians or fundamentalist Christians, whatever you want to call them, who are white. But they don't say anything about the huge number of, say, black people who were not affirming or Hispanics. They, they just won't bring it up because if they do that, they're going to get called racist, right? Mm-hmm. And I just find that to be a really odd double standard because then when you actually get in the organizing realm and you have to work with those people like myself, at some point it becomes a serious impediment to being able to actually um, organize, if you know what I mean, especially if you're in a community like, say, South Texas, where pretty much everyone is Catholic, and they're, but they're workers. 
So, I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is, I don't want to have a whole discourse about like one performative person on the internet who doesn't actually do organizing work, because it seems to me that everybody mm-hmm. who does organizing work is very aware of this. India Walton was on the show talking about her choice about what to emphasize and not emphasize when she's door knocking and to kind of judge, you know, try to get a sense of the situation you're in and to be, you know, just like I wouldn't walk into mm-hmm. a, I don't know, a, you know, a, like a, a muscle building gym <laughs> with a bunch of bros and, and lead with abortion, presuming that that mm-hmm. wasn't their main issue. I wouldn't necessarily bring up, let's say, you know, trans issues with some like cis family. Like I just wouldn't, unless they had maybe a trans kid or something, right? Like you're just judging every space mm-hmm. to see, to make a guess about what they would most like. But I also say, want to say that you should be cautious about doing that because you can make mistakes. I mean, Ross uses they them pronouns you know, from today's episode mm-hmm. and they're a engineer they're, they're a real worker so like you just don't you don't you don't know um right and, and it goes mm-hmm. both making those assumptions and like being exclu- excluding people goes both ways yeah and, and i'll acknowledge that i've noticed too as far as the organizers most of them seem to be kind of in with that understanding but on the other hand i would say that there's a lot of people who get most of their exposure to the left from not actual organizers but from people in the media space and i just i would say strategically at the very least but of course constitutionally this is wrong as well if you're going to come out and support openly even if it's not the main focal point of a video someone can just go and clip it out and then put it on facebook like leftist wants to shut down churches or something and put this selectively edited clip where you a bunch of these leftist commentators are saying like we need to take away the tax exemption of quote bigoted churches or something like that and again i i don't want to mention this person's name because then you'd have to have them you had had to have them on but this is just the most in your face example, maybe where they will basically on a daily basis call mass numbers of people bigots, even though I'm going to be honest in an actual church setting, you'll find that most of the people at these quote bigoted churches are actually not. And they would treat a trans person or a gay person just fine. But I don't know if, but I don't know how widespread that is as far as knowing that that is true. Well, look, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it go. I would agree. Yeah. I've, 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 I have, I'm not a church goer. I've been at a limited number of church experiences mm-hmm. in my life, but I've mostly just going along with family members when I'm, when I'm home for various things, but I have been to church and heard them say openly homophobic things, including the F word in church. Mm-hmm. That was a thing that happened. And I've been to church and found it to be, warm and inviting with a great band and a flamboyantly gay choir instructor. <laughs> like I've, I've seen it go all of the ways and I've seen it go in the way where there was a flamboyantly gay choir instructor and just nobody talks about it, you know, which is like the, the middle road. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I don't, the, the issue that I have with talking about um, conservatism in black churches is not that you're racist to bring it up. 
but that it doesn't seem to me especially different from the conservatism that is the norm in American society and in white churches and in all the places. And there was a way that sometimes we have this conversation about how black people are especially LGBTQIA unfriendly when white people are shooting up trans clubs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. dra- drag yeah, shows. And that's the thing is, um, maybe, yeah. Oh, I, so, oh, so I, I like, I, I, I take your point, but I just, I guess I, I'm having trouble getting really especially invested because, yeah, people are going to say things that aren't necessarily good for the movement on the internet all the time. And they're going to get cherry-picked, and it's going to show up on libs of TikTok, and that sucks. And I wish everyone would be more conscientious about what they're saying. But you're never going to get perfection. And we're going to have to figure out how to be mm-hmm. more persuasive and have enough personal relationships with people in communities that they judge us by our relationships and not the thing they saw in a Twitter clip. And I think that's, I mean, that's just, it's the hard truth and the reality of the thing. And, you know, and, you know, I don't know who this person is, but, you know, to the extent that there's a sensitive conversation that can be had with them about whether or not they're putting more people off than they're appealing to, you know, that's, that's, that would be interesting. And I hope people who know them and care about them reach out and maybe have that conversation. But, um, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Sometimes people say things that are especially constructive. This is something that I kind of realized. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but. I feel like it's it's really impossible to create a serious movement of working people to get Medicare for all and money out of politics and all the stuff we want without organizing with a substantial number of people whose religious beliefs we would or not, not we, but I mean, like, you know, secular leftist, right, would describe as at the very least um archaic and even bigoted. I just feel like it's, it's really impossible to actually get what we want without working with at least some of those people. And then we're going to have to kind of, and that people who are atheistic or, or anti-religious are just going to have to kind of set that aside yeah, but that, this for is, the time this, being. This is the thing. I just don't understand. Like everybody is doing that. Like everybody, everybody is doing that. And it seems like you found an example of someone who isn't and like, you know, maybe that's not so great, but I, I don't understand exactly what you're arguing for. Like, I, I agree, and it seems like everybody agrees, and most everybody is already doing that. Yeah, and I don't – it's obviously what I was really referring to was just kind of an informal, not scientific polling. So it, it, it's really impossible to know the exact amount. But what I – I suppose when I really boil it down to it, my concern – is that there is is that there is this like um what do I put it there's just this weight there's just this kind of weight that is on the back of any leftist movement this this I think a lot of it most of it probably is inherited from the Soviet Union and China but some of it too is definitely self-inflicted where it's this kind of weight on our backs bag of bricks that we have to carry where whenever we'll say something, there's this immediate image in our head that we want to go on like great churches or something, which is funny because I'm a leftist and I go to church and all that. And I don't want to raid churches because I actually go to one. But like there's definitely some level of self-infliction going on. Either that or there's no one attacking in an aggressive manner the old Soviet and Chinese tropes that have been kind of hoisted upon 
Look, Nathan, I, I don't know. I, it seems States. to me that you really are immersed in a community where this feels like a significant problem, and I want to respect that. And certainly there is an online community that used to be like right. the atheist community that kind of became the left community. Like the, you know, it's yeah. why I guess secular, you know, secular talk, um, Kyle goes, guys, secular talk, because he used to be a part of that community. And I, my brother used to be really, like people, like I understand that that was like the part of the internet at the time that was questioning a lot of orthodoxies and having a lot of these debates and where debate culture emerged. And like, that's a thing that has something, but I, I don't think that, the left movement is like from the internet. I think it's from people like Martin mm-hmm. Luther King who were literally ministers and also socialists right. and also taking, looking to the, you know, to, um, you know, communism, other parts of the world and the USSR and things like that, but weren't secular themselves. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, when I, when I think about everybody who's doing that organizing in Georgia, when I think about all of these people, you know, the, the, the influence of black people in particular on the civil rights movement and how socialist that movement always has been. And also how religious that movement has always been. I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with this idea that leftism has this problematic attachment to secularism. That's going to be off putting to people. I think it's that if you, your version of leftism has to do with YouTube shows and DSA in particular, but not if it is more broader based. And that's the whole problem, not just for the secular reason, but for general reasons, we should have a community that doesn't just exist with a bunch of, and I count myself in this, like Oberlin kids who are in DSA. It's gotta be bigger than that. And once it's, we realize mm-hmm. that it's bigger than that and the people in the community, you know, that we should be in community with actually are not secular at all. I think the problem resolves itself. The issue is us being in that silo, not that leftism is actually that. Yeah, I'd agree that definitely if you look at by the numbers, it, it'd probably be a strong majority of people wouldn't fall under. But like you said, there's – at some point, it just kind of becomes – how do you put it? Like kind of – it's like your, the ship is taking on water and you just kind of have to keep, you know, getting the water out of the ship. Otherwise, the whole thing is going to sink. It's not that like the people are actively putting the water in, but it's just kind of – the last thing I'll say, which is that at, I guess I would maybe call it a collective self-policing because obviously we can't, you know, have a, obviously we can't formally police anything like that. But what I maybe would be advocating for is more of like a informal collective self-policing where it's like maybe a grand bargain, you could say. Where, we'll, where we're not going to ask you about what your actual belief is religiously about issue X, Y, and Z. We're only going to ask about the actual Nathan, policies. Nathan, like who is asking people about their religion? Like this is like crazy to me. Like I, I, I don't want to be glib here, but I, I feel like you're doing the equivalent of like, mm-hmm. gosh, we have a real problem on the left where everyone – Everyone will only door knock wearing purple fuzzy slippers and it's alienating. So like, I think that we should tell everyone just really make sure that people aren't wearing purple fuzzy slippers. Cause like, it's a really weird look like no one, like who is doing this? Do you know what I'm saying? Like what, what, what yeah. is the problem? I feel like we're talking about something that is not really actually an issue. So this is the thing. I, I can't like give you a laundry list or anything, but it's just kind of like a, um, how do I put it? It's just, it, it's just, it, it's just something that is 
mm, trying to think of a word for it. It's not necessarily a vibe, but that's the best thing I can think of. It's just a vibe that, you know, I'm saying I watch a lot of different types of content and I talk to different people when I'm out in the world and stuff. And I don't see a whole lot of disagreement on actual policies, but I see that there's different vibes in different communities. And then they just get in a huge fight around which vibe they like better. And I just find that to be toxic. Okay, well, look, maybe, Nathan, if you want to come back again with some specific examples, we can talk through it. But I think we've probably gotten to, you know, as far as we're going to get with the abstraction. Um, but if, as a general principle, yes, I think that you should try to get to know people, get to know different kinds of communities, talk to people in a way that seems approachable, not condescending, not presumptuous, not disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And that's like just a general rule for life as well. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for calling yes. in, Nathan. Yes. Okay. Yep. Keep the faith. Um, I'm just kind of curious about what Jonathan thinks about all of this. So I'm calling on Jonathan to close up about, you know, not that call, but all of the things that have happened today. Cause I've seen you online. Being very all the things. Oh, well, first thing is first, uh, I've got a, uh, I have been told by my partner in crime, newly minted internet celebrity. Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, by the way, he left for work before he, uh, like he didn't realize there was a final segment with the Sam Bankman freed thing. So he left for work. He did not know. <laughs> and so I had the pleasure of taking a video screenshot and sending it to him and then calling him at work and telling him and telling him that I, I demand an autograph. So I didn't know that was happening. Like but, they didn't tell us that that was going to be in there. And so when we saw it, like I cracked up because Robbie and I have talked about him. Like Robbie notices him hating on him. <laughs> and I obviously know him from Colin. And so we had a good Colin, laugh. And so we had a good Robbie. And I feel bad. I feel a little bad about my jokes earlier. You know, like, I mean, maybe this is very problematic of me, but you know, guys, I like, I really actually like Robbie. We have a good time and he's a good sport and, you know, people are playing their roles or whatever. And I, um, you know, you know, I, I don't I hope nothing I said is construed as me thinking that Robbie is like undateable or unlovable or like unattractive or anything like that. I'm just saying, obviously, I can't believe I have to say this. I'm not going to be romantically involved with Robbie. That's all I'm saying. Um, but so, yeah, we, it was a surprise to both of us when, um, for those who don't know, in the final segment of Rising, they threw in the script um, one of neoliberal tw- tears' tweets. Uh, and we, uh, resp- uh, it was about the change in the theme music, which Robbie and I hadn't heard yet. Um, and so we had a little, like, patter about it. And we were very amused be- for, for the reasons, the reason being that Robbie knows that he's very antagonistic to Robbie and he sees him in his mentions all the time. And I know him as Robbie Follow. Sorry. Him. Robbie follows him. Robbie follows see, him Robbie, on Twitter. Like, Robbie is like a good sport. He's got that like Leo Roloff. Yeah, he thinks he's funny. I'm sorry? Robbie thinks he's funny. He said so. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a good sport. <laughs> he's a good sport. But yeah, anyway, he, he uh, specifically told me I am not allowed to Bluetooth on Colin anymore. I have to use my phone speaker, so I have done that. Great. I took my I took my uh, my Beats audio out of my ears, but like I felt like I often say I feel like you you take the thoughts right out of my head, but the past couple of days I almost feel like we've been on the same journey, and it kind of it kind of started like 
you know, um, I mean, firstly, I got to say, like, you even touched on it in the call-in. Like, you pretty much, like, all but said, like, at this point, like, Joe Biden kind of checks all of Clara Matei's fascist mm-hmm. boxes. And um, I was like, man, I, that's I'm really vibing with that. I pretty much said the same thing. Like, Walker Bragman was on our call-in mm-hmm. yesterday. And, uh, you know, we were pretty much talking about the same thing. Hopefully he'll uh, listen to the episode and maybe even read the book. But, uh, I mean, like we were, we were really kind of going through the same journey, I feel like, and it's not all bad. Like some of the people that were calling in to talk about it were all doom and gloom, but like, I feel like we've been knocked down too many times. Uh, we've been disappointed too many times for it to hurt like it used to. And now it's almost more like a kind of, of savage, almost accelerationist, uh, sort of, uh, of, of triumph, like, Cause you called those plays like in advance, every single one, we kind of all yep. did. We knew what was coming. We knew the playbook. You even have receipts from ages ago when this happened before. And one of the things that I've been seeing kind of even in your Twitter replies is like, or like more people saw what just happened than you think, including a lot of people that have spent a long time as kind of squad bootlicker types that were always reflexively defending the squad. Like, they did not all go the way of Ryan Grimm. In fact, in that very same uh, tweet thread that you replied to um, under under AOC, uh, I don't know if you spotted it, but uh, David Griscom. I did. I did see that. Okay. I was like, if you lost David Griscom, okay, like, you, you need to just throw in the towel here. Like, you're not convincing anybody. And, like, at this point, like, a lot of – uh, some of them were having meltdowns in your replies, even like they were, uh, you know, oh, I hate you, Bree. And then we'd follow them to their actual Twitter thing. And they're like, I'll never trust anybody ever again. And uh, 2022 is the worst year ever and stuff like that. And then basically we'd confront them on it. And, you know, they'd, they'd be like, OK, we know what the squad did was wrong. And I'm like, OK, so why are we arguing like? Is this like how old are you? Is this really the first time that somebody you trusted or looked up to has let you down? It feels like when it's like I can make fun of my mother, but you can't make fun of my mother. But I'm like, we're all supposed to be siblings. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, they, they're possessive about it. Like, oh, I can criticize the squad because I'm doing it in good faith, but you're not. And I'm like, when did it? When did it happen that you have decided that I'm I'm not coming from the same place that you're coming from? I just got there before you did. But look, I, I, I've always thought that David Griscom was, I've seen him a little bit on this journey for a while, and I've always, he's always been my favorite of that majority, uh, minority report. Yeah, you know, I guess me too. I mean, he, look, when I used, when I used to do Michael's show all the time in person, um, you know, the whole crew was always very lovely to me. He was always, I thought, like, especially sweet. And even when everyone was kind of coming at me over force the vote, I never saw him say anything kind of like mean. Um, the way that so many other people did in a way that shocked me, not just, I disagree with you, but like, you're, you, you're so ignorant. You don't know anything. You're so stupid that like all of that kind of shit, you know, um, I never saw that from him. So, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased I'm, and I'm happy. And yeah. I, you know, very recently, especially the last couple of days, I've been having a lot of conversations online with a lot of people who were anti-force the vote that all of a sudden, are willing to listen and engage and, you know, even move a little bit and consider some of those ideas. 
that we were floating at the time, and maybe even some of our assessments at the time, they're willing to take a second look at, because I think your episode actually set the tone really, really, really well, uh, incredibly well. And it was, like I said, it was weird. We were talking about the exact same situation uh, with Walker Bragman and, you know, hopefully helping him work through some yeah, of his thoughts on the matter, but... He, he was on it. Yeah, hopefully... hopefully yeah, hopefully we contributed to his cogitation and, and uh, helped him hone his his thoughts on the matter. But your episode actually um, you know, kind of really laid it out starkly. This is one of the most righteous cases of this type that we have seen in years. One of the most clear-cut kind of good and evil uh, you know, battles, like the kind of thing that, you know, you you heard about, like this kind of open like almost cartoonish villainy on the part of, you know, the railroad barons and the fact that like they've clearly been collaborating with politicos here and they would have engaged in good faith in those negotiations if they didn't think, you know, if they weren't sure that those politicians were going to bail them out in the end and enforce their will. Like they've been uh, flexing their muscles and, uh, and, you know, twisting their mustaches and going, Mwahahaha. and, Pretty much everybody saw it. Everybody saw what the squad did. Nobody was buying what they were selling afterwards. And with that bill separation, we all saw how it was going to go. We all knew how it was going to go. And all of these people that, uh, you know, were inclined to defend those people are like, oh. Yeah. Like, they had nothing to say. And, like, it really took all of my self-restraint not to be like, ha-ha, I told you so. I've been trying to extend these people grace and just kind of give them a look that says, I know yeah, it's hard. I know, you know, come on over. Yeah. It's okay. No harm, no foul. Just, you know, now you see what we see, That's but you know, it is, it is hard. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm happy to do it. If, if I could, I would, I would love to be like friends with Sam Cedar tomorrow and be going on each other's shows and having a good time and bury the hatchet. Like, I don't, you know, there's no reason, there's no reason to have enmity. But it's like, also the other part of it is that you you talked about predicting all of this stuff. I gotta say, as someone who like, I remember when I was hired by the Intercept in 2018, sitting next to Ryan Graham, and he used to say things about congressional muckety-muck happenings. And it was like so over my head and I was just trying to process everything and learn everything and catch up. And to now, like, four years later, like, be able to call these plays, it, it is scary insofar as it's, like, actually not that deep. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. It's not that unpredictable. Like, it's not that deep. And yet the people who are supposed to be able to understand everything don't. Like, I, was, I had this thought today when I was on the treadmill last night, like, we as a community, everybody in this chat, everybody who's been on this journey since, you know, 20, 2020 and obviously before, but, you know, with this force to vote on, we have gotten more things right than Nate Silver has in that same time period. And yet oh, there yeah. are no glowing profiles of us in New York Magazine <laughs> and we're not being invited on the pod save shows to explain how we predicted that the Supreme Court was going to vote down, you know, was going to vote down Bill- Joe Biden's. Uh, student debt cancellation or that, like all of the things that are happening that we have predicted. And it, it is, it is, it is both. It, it almost, it makes me scared because it's like, if we, if we are, if it is true and make it look, maybe we're all colossally wrong and maybe they're going to get the seven days and whatever, 15, 
they're not going to get 15, but maybe they'll get the 70. But like, if, if we continue to be right and what, what does that mean about how, you know, how, how, how prepared the people in charge are? Like what, what, who's driving the ship? Like when, when Jimmy Dore says like, I'm a, a pothead comedian and I figured out force the vote. Like there's something that's like, you know, pride in that, but there's another part of it that's just deeply terrifying. When, when I had this Congress member call me up after force of vote and like literally ask me what I thought the next step should be. Like there was a part of me that's like, oh, that's so nice that you asked. But another part that's like, holy shit, you're asking me? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like if there's anything that I have discovered uh, just in my journey over uh, you know, the last few years of my life is that all of these people that I used to assume knew things that I didn't or knew more than I did, uh, I started to realize, no, they don't. And that assumption, like how many people have had great ideas if they just kept to themselves and be like, I'm sure somebody else has thought of that. It's it's not always true. And these people don't always know what they're doing. I, I think at the highest levels, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, some of them certainly do. Like they have, you know, certainly very advanced ways of manipulating their little corner of the system. And, you know, I think the, the Clara Matei interview certainly illuminated some of that. But a lot of these people are kind of going through the motions and they don't really, uh, you know, even people with good intentions don't necessarily know what they're doing. And that's, that's almost what makes them vulnerable to capture. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, I think, uh, somebody pointed out to me recently, like, uh, there were a couple of very recent incidents where even people we like, like, uh, Sarah Nelson have, uh, done things that, uh, their rank and file were not especially happy about and, you know, negotiated against themselves. Uh, you know, when you, when you build relationships with, uh, the power structure, uh, it's it's very difficult, especially if you don't have a particular understanding of those of those structural forces and a you know a really uh, you know strong plan for how to get in and get out. It's really difficult not to get sucked into uh, the engine intake, so to speak, and and get appropriated to at least to some degree to be tainted. And that's one of the things that um, you know earlier some callers were talking about Joe Burns. Uh, who's been a macro and cheese guest uh, is also like a really sharp guy. That book class struggle unionism, um, you know, really was um, I thought a really inspiring take kind of a resurgence of, of old fashioned, truly left uh, unionism. And there are people that are his acolytes some of whom I think you've talked to before, you know, people that are involved with, um, wanting to say SEIU in Vermont and, you know, some kind of rebel factions of some larger unions that are kind of advocating for that sort of unionism um, to kind of take back power from those people that have become these, these sort of uh, political establishment bureaucrats and union leadership in a lot of the larger unions. And these kinds of things are, are definitely like, it's, it's definitely worth hearing from him. I think that's a good recommendation for somebody to talk to in the near future, but I'm finding myself feeling this past couple of days just 
even a tiny, I'm allowing myself to feel a tiny bit optimistic, despite the fact that we saw the same thing happen over and over again, just by looking around and seeing how many more people were shocked and actually are in a place where they're like, oh, something, something's not stirring the Kool-Aid here. Something that I thought was the case is, is, is not, like the math isn't mathing here. Just imagine how much clearer that would be. To, I'm not trying to be such like believer of the point, but imagine how much clearer it would be who was right and who was wrong if the squad, instead of going along with it, were speaking out against it. Like, just yeah. there's not a single person other than Bernie Sanders who was has been, I and mean, frankly, LOL, Marco Rubio and, and that crew. Who have stuck the landing yeah, I, and, and to date are still saying this was not a good deal. Yeah, and honestly, like I, one of the things I was telling Walker yesterday, I'm not as quick as, uh, frankly, some of your, because uh, this was before your your podcast dropped, but yeah, some of your guests were to, uh, you know, attribute credit to Bernie Sanders because, uh, frankly, um, you know, as you mentioned in several tweets, it was either yesterday or today. Uh, the, they, they had the option and certainly Bernie had the ability to gum up the works on, uh, voting to, uh, suppress the strike in the first place, uh, for the simple reason, like they were asking for 15 and he already yeah. started right out the gate offering seven in that amendment that then got separated and killed. So, uh, you know, he was already negotiating against himself. And based on what I've seen over the last two years, I wouldn't want Bernie negotiating on my behalf in the first place. Yeah. You know, the guy uh, has an unfortunate tendency to give away the, you know, the whole farm in exchange for a pinky swear and five magic yep. beans. Yep, yep, yep. It's true. And, you know, I also put forth the notion that, you know, there was also, you know, a strong possibility that theoretically if Bernie really wanted to gum up the works, the Republicans probably would have been happy to see a railroad strike happen on Joe Biden's watch. Yeah. Well, at least some of them. Because, I mean, there is the, the business interest angle and then the donors to consider and all of the oil and coal barons that they take money from. I mean, do we really believe that Joe, uh, Joe Manchin from coal country, reliant on all of these trains, was going to support a leave policy that was going to basically end PSR? I mean, like, I mean, really? I mean, like, I mean, I understand that the, the the real workers also are his constituents, but, like, are they giving him as much money as the coal companies? Of course like, not. I just, I, I, and I'm sorry, I have people, like, texting me talking about, oh, we, like, they might get mansion. Like, I'm hearing it's closed. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing there's, like, six Republicans are going to cross the aisle. I'm like, okay, that's great. You, you know you need, like, ten. Because of all of the Democrats that weren't going to vote for like the, like, you know, that they are calculating it to make sure it's like perfect so that the people who cross the aisle don't actually cost, like make the good thing happen. Like that is, that is the plan. Like, I don't understand. Like people were credulously saying to me right up until the moment it was announced that they lost, like that it passed, that, that it might not like, or that the, sorry, that the, that the, the, the sick leave portion would pass. Like that, yeah. like credulously, like not, oh man, it's a long shot, but I'm hopeful. But like, no, no, no. Like, don't be so pessimistic. Like, like, like I'm, I'm hearing good things from the inside. Like a really, 
Yeah, you're being told good things from the inside, so you go tweet out like this was actually a possibility and get people's hopes up so that they can do it next time. And they already have told us, well, the next thing we have to, the next thing, the, ne- the next thing is going to be this executive order. Everybody root for Biden in this executive order. He's still on our team. Go Biden. It's, it's so yeah, true. I mean, I saw tweets from some of these people publicly. Yeah, they, like some of these people who are DMing you tweeted the same thing publicly. And I was like thinking to myself, boy, I, I have some Enron stock I'd like to sell you. Maybe a bridge in Brooklyn. Want some FTX? If you believe that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like we knew exactly what was happening. And like they knew when they made the movie Bullworth yeah. that this was happening. You know, where that scene in the Compton church where he's telling these people, like, uh, when they're asking why you didn't pass this insurance bill, he's like, well, you didn't contribute any money to my yeah. campaign, did yeah. you? Do you have any idea how much money these insurance companies come up with so that I can bottle it up in committee and kill it when you're not looking? Yeah. Well, this time they killed it right in front of all of us. We knew they were going to do it. That's what the separation is. They, they, you know, they pulled the football away the exact same way before. Crazy, Pramila Jayapal. My goodness, I gotta say, almost feeling bad for Elizabeth Warren because we see now who really deserve the snake emojis. Well, you know, there's there's enough snake emojis for both. Yeah, doesn't go around. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I feel like I feel like my my own sense of karma needs me to say. But I, I feel petty about talking about ASE's dress. I know that's the stupidest thing in the world. I mean, I didn't. Like, I honestly well, didn't okay, like it, look. but it's not important. It's not important. It, well, no. Firstly, it was, it was correct. And secondly, she has it coming because, like, if she did it for the right reasons, I'd be like, okay, don't be. Yeah. Like, let's, let's not say it out loud, even though we all know it. You know, wink, yeah. wink. But, I mean, come on. Like, this is, like, this is basically what they bribed her with to appropriate her if she wasn't already appropriated to begin with. Like, the Vogue spread, uh, the ability to attend the Met Gala, being the celebrity treatment, all of yeah, that I mean, kind like, of the, stuff. The, the thing, it's like this one, the Haas and Piker stuff, like, or like the Bernie and his houses. Like, to me, the line is, if you're still doing the right thing, like, I'm, I'm not going to make a lot of you having made a million dollars from your book or going to a party and having fun. Like, okay. But if you're not doing the right thing and you're still right. If you're attending shit, that party, if you're attending that party and skipping a meeting with the fledgling Amazon labor union yeah. people, then, then we have a, then we have a problem and it's okay to be a little bit petty because we all know it's true anyway. Just go ahead and say it. Yeah. I mean, I did say that she looked beautiful, which is true. Cause she always does. I just didn't like yes. that designer. But also, I've said I've made a few snarky remarks like after I listened to the you know, this was before I even heard uh the horrible chapter in, in Anon Jared Hiradaz's book. But oh. uh when I heard the, the Pod Save Bro uh interview and she was talking about how much she loves sanitation workers and I was telling neoliberal tears like, you know, it's an interesting coincidence that she loves sanitation workers because she's trash. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan, okay, now you guys are just trying to get me in trouble. Here's something I'm going to do. Should I do, like, I know I know Ryan was just on the podcast, but let me see if he maybe would be willing to do, like, a live stream or something, if people are interested in having this conversation. And maybe we can broaden it out a little bit. Maybe get Ross or a labor reporter or some union person on with us and, like, have maybe... Because he, I saw some, some union people actually, like, replying to him in there and trying to inform him because he was making some excuses for her, like basically parroting her response. And then they were they were informing him, of course, I'm sure you saw some of it, 
that this is not like this is not a rail workers union. This is like the grocery store union or something like that in her area. She did not talk to any rail workers. There was no consensus amongst the unions. This was just she was just like, oh, I talked to some people from this local union. Yeah, I, I truly don't understand. I truly don't understand the rationale of that. And I have had. Well, I don't understand. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And no, I, no, I saw no. like some people were arguing like so the um, which one one of the unions um, tweeted out like we appreciate your vote on this AOC like one of the you know one of the twelve, and um, that was being you know held up as like see they they wanted they did want her to do this, and like look, look there is an argument for wanting the Senate to have to force the vote on the vacation dates. However, you have to answer why the squad had to vote for it in order for that to happen. Because they had the votes right. without the squad. And that was Griscom's point. Okay, like you could have stood up against it just to just to make a statement. And like when we were talking to Walker yesterday, at first he was bringing up, well, you know, they probably think you can catch more flies with honey. And I started explaining about, you know, the, the parallels between what they were doing, like what the Biden administration was doing and the kinds of things that, uh, that Clara Matei was talking about. And you are like, I basically made the case, you are never going to extract any concessions from the Biden administration along those lines voluntarily you have to make him think his entire you know his entire administration is basically going to collapse if he doesn't give on this issue to some degree and that's the only way you're going to get it and you are not going to get it by begging or being nice okay you saw he basically ordered them to separate away the the, the sick leave time from that bill that was his order like he was the one who said separate it I don't want this on this bill. I want this bill across my desk tomorrow so we can yes, avert Biden's this. Biden's statements have yeah. been crystal fucking clear from the beginning. Like Absolutely. This, Christmas shopping this, season must yeah, go forward. Artificial haste. Like it has to be by this deadline. It has. We don't have time to amend it. We don't have time to delay. We just have to accept management's terms because otherwise Christmas is canceled. I've never seen him so decisive. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I was almost a little impressed. I'm like, maybe he's not as senile, senile as he looks. Yeah. But yeah, that's you know, like like you said in your radar, like it, it checks, it's checking all those boxes. Like, well, you didn't say it explicitly, no, I didn't say but, it explicitly you, you know, but everyone got it. <laughs> everyone yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I enjoy talking to you, Jonathan. I'm like well over three hours coming up on four. I will yeah. say other Jonathan raises a good point that we haven't really fully talked about the Clara Mate interview. So keep the faith, Jonathan. I'm going to let other Jonathan say a couple of words about that because I do think that that was – I think that's maybe something we haven't talked about it because we felt like everything was kind of said, like in it. But let me – by the first Jonathan – Hello to the second Jonathan. Let's keep this relatively brief. Later. Hello to the first. Hello to other Jonathan. I was, I was, hello from me to other oh. Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan to Jonathan love. Love that. So, Jonathan, say your, say your piece. Say what you wished had been said about that, that last um, episode or anything else that you want to talk about. 
Uh, yeah, thanks, real Jonathan. Um, <laughs> real Jonathan? Yeah. What she, are you, a simulation? Just other Jonathan. <laughs> that, that's fine. I can take. I can play second fiddle to Jonathan because he's pretty awesome. But it's, um, yeah, I feel like it got passed over a little bit. I mean, because this was a big emotional hit, the labor mm-hmm. thing. But, the, you know, it's too bad that's not any less depressing, that whole monetary system mm-hmm. thing. But they're, they're related, you know, because labor, well, wages, you could think about wages like buying someone's time, or you could think about wages like renting a person. But in that case, it's the, the boss that's the renter and the employee that's the rentier. But it's the power relationship is the other way. So it's best to think about the boss as the rentier and you, the employee, are the renter and what you're renting is employment from your boss. And what you pay him is the surplus value of your labor mm-hmm. or her. And the reason that the power in the negotiating table is in the hands of the employer is basically because to the bottom 50 to 80% of people, the primary means by which the wealth of a nation is disseminated is when you trade your time for money. Whereas for the top 15 to 20%, it's disseminated in asset appreciation. This is why I don't like the 1% there. The 1%. It's actually like 15 to 20%. Like for 10 years between 2009 and 2019, all you had to do was own assets. Quote, unquote, smart money was outperformed by the S&P 500. Like a blindfolded monkey could have thrown a dart and picked a winner. Like you, smart money wasn't smart. You couldn't lose, really. Mm-hmm. But it's like a it's – like, it's related because it's, it's like a pagoda. Maybe my very first call-in, I, I, I painted a picture – Painted a picture of a price fixing pagoda. There's your alliteration <laughs> for the day. But it was like, oh, it was about, but it was just a literal price fixing of one commodity. It was gas. Like my local municipality had a bunch of gas stations and a tacit agreement not to lower the price down to the actual price. State level, ethanol, uh, national level was, you know, people who have F- F- WTO futures and employ longshoremen and speculate on the futures of their companies, which they. Etc. And then there's the international that was OPEC. One, two, three, four layers of that pagoda. But like you're my age, so you remember, oh, honey, I shrunk the kids, right? Like you hit that pagoda with a shrink ray, it goes down, and it fits inside just one floor of another one. I still think about that. And aunt, it goes that pet ant. The little, the, the big mm-hmm. ant, yeah, that becomes a giant. Well, the giant, the big pagoda, is like so. Imagine uh, there's a guy. Let's say Dave owns a bar, so he's he can be a rentier. He's getting price fixed commodities, beer or whatever. And he's extracting, he's, he's renting out employment. So he's a rentier for his employees too. But Dave pays rent in turn to the hotel in which the bar lay. The hotel pays rent to the landlord for the land on which the hotel lay. The landlord pays another form of rent called interest to the bank because it's you're renting money and interest is rent to the bank from which he borrowed the loan to buy the land. The bank pays rent to the Fed for the central bank, called the federal uh, funds rate for the central bank reserves that it needs to do business. All parties involved pay another form of rent called taxes to the treasury for the right to do business in their space. And then the treasury pays rent to the Fed called the coupon rate on the bonds that it needed to sell to get the bonds to do business. And then the Fed pays rent to the rich, to money market funds. It's called the repo rate, more accurately, the reversed repo rate. And all parties involved pay rent to the rich 
in the form of devaluation of the currency. Because what does that mean? It means it buys you less what? Less assets. To say that assets are going up and money is going down are just two different ways of saying the same thing. They don't even, they actually mean exactly the same thing. If, if the assets are going up, that means your money is getting less powerful. And if you own assets, yeah. you're the rich. Mm-hmm. And the whole system is structured this way. Mm-hmm. Every dollar that's created is created with more owed than was created. And that's fiscal policy via the, what the, the coupon rate and it's monetary vol- policy via the federal funds rate. And so this, this interest has to be coming from somewhere. But it's not because we have a trade deficit. So there's no money coming in from the outside the country to service the debt. And there's people just fall out the bottom. And there's a lot of attitude just in this call in just today. People are waiting with bated breath for the ship to crash into the rocks. So the communism will rise from the ashes. What about anything makes you think serfdom is unsustainable? It's very sustainable. I'm sure you've heard this phrase before. We're moving from a manufacturing economy to a service economy, mm-hmm. right? You've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. What is, what's the service economy is full of servants, servants who serve the rich. So it's, it's a classist thing in its very nature. And when you have this bourgeois economy serving as the surplus recycling mechanism, you have a serious problem. If I were to just Thanos snap the poorest million or 10 million Americans out of existence, the digital entity that is Airbnb would not notice. They don't need you. It's of the bourgeois, PMC, uh, edu- overeducated app developers, by the bourgeois, white people flipping houses, and for the bourgeois, for, for people who, you know, a hotel room is just not kitschy enough. They need their experience to be more unique. It, and this, this surplus recycling mechanism existing in this bourgeois space Millions and millions of people falling out the bottom of society, overdoses, jail, suicide, uh, diseases because they don't take care of themselves correctly. It is in no way affecting the sustainability of the system. This upward mobilization of machine, wealth mobilization machine that's been going on as long as we've had this monetary system and a trade deficit since about, what, 1980, give or take a few years, depending on how you measure it. And how long has wealth inequality been rising? Since about 1980, give or take a few years, depending on how you measure it. They're synonymous with each other. And everything else is just, you said it yourself earlier, moving the symptoms around. The Fed exists to push the symptoms around. But the fundamental thing is never addressed. Their job is to pull the levers and gear, the release valves to make sure that just enough people aren't as dissatisfied in one place at one time. It's getting harder, but they're also getting better at it. And that's what I thought about trying to, I'm trying my best to relate Claire Mate to this one. Jonathan. Eat your vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. Like you're, you're very, you're very compelling in your, in, in your right. I do feel, I do feel. Like I thought you were going to say something like a little more squarely on the Clara Mate interview after having, like, I don't need you to relate the two. I thought you were just going to say something about that, that episode. I mean, like, <laughs> like less abstractly, <laughs> but I don't, I, oh. you don't, oh shit. Sorry. I just, sorry. Sorry. Oh, God damn. Sorry. So I'm trying something new today where I got my first couch ever. And so I'm laying on it and I put this, I hooked, I set the soundboard up. 
on the couch. And it sings to you? And I keep, uh, like, rolling over onto it. <laughs> so apologies for that. I'm working out the kinks of my new arrangement. I will say I'm very comfortable, which is part of why I'm willing to go on for four hours. I'm not sitting in some hard chair irritated. Um. <laughs> well, on the Clara Mate interview precisely, I actually was sort of like, it's weird how you can agree with almost every single thing that somebody says and still think they're pointed a little bit in the wrong direction. Like every sentence in a vacuum was correct. Yeah. And yet, there's this weird, because I talked about wealth taxes before, mm. but she'll say something about corporate taxes. But, like, think of it as a, as a game of connect the dots, like the difference between the two. Like, uh, say you're Walmart, and Walmart pays its wages from the same coffer from which it pays its taxes. So to suggest that, not to say that they would do this, but if you lower their taxes, they could pay their workers more. That's not even two dots to connect. It's the same dot. By contrast, if you're... Tr- if you were to say that somebody's portfolio full of Walmart stock going from 20 million to 21 million in value is going to turn them into a job creator, that does require some elaborate neoliberal mental gymnastics to connect all of those dots. Mm-hmm. So the, de- the difference between corporate tax and cap gains tax is a difference between production and ownership. Income to wealth is the same difference and land value to property is the s- same difference. So, like, I wouldn't go corporate tax, especially a worker-owned companies shouldn't pay corporate taxes at all. You want to tax the owners, not the corporation itself. You want to tax the land, not the building. And you want to tax the wealth, not the income. I mean, all, And the logic is always the same. But to your same. point, it does, there's nothing that's preventing – there's nothing that um, directs people, if you were not to tax corporations, and then directs them to actually – pass it on to employees and not to pass it on to, you know, management salaries, for instance. So, you know, that's true. Is there a way like, you know, I wonder if there's a way to incentivize by saying, if you spend it, if you put money back into the business, that's tax free. If you, you know what I mean? I mean, I know accountants can trick their way around a lot of different kinds of things, but it does seem like you should be able to be more specific about what, like you can have like, you know, tax exempt, you know, spending medical spending accounts and things like that you know a tax exempt employee yes. employee raise fund but if what you're spending it on instead is stock buybacks and you compare it with the taxing of that cap gains from the buying back the stock then all of a sudden the math changes look at this and point i take your changes. word for it jonathan I, I confess that you are always a bit um it is always it requires my full mental faculties to track you and having you at the end and also at the end of my um, alcoholic beverage we're all t- I'm, we're all tired here. is perhaps not the best scenario for you to be in. I'm drinking the Yungling black and tan. It's actually, uh, I don't know that I would buy it again, but I, I enjoyed that sounds it. Like a lo- that sounds like a lager. Is it dark? Yeah, uh, the regular ones. Yeah, yes, it is. It's, it's black. Oh, good, good. God <laughs> you don't speed. like to chew on your beer? But I'm I like I like my beers opposite of how I like my <laughs> I use beer as food. There are days I love that a blonde most of my ale. calories come from the beer. <laughs> I love I love a crisp Belgian ale. I confess. Have you like have you tried Moosehead? That's uh you might like that no, one. But I do That's like one of my moose. favorite My mom ones. calls me Moose Goofy or Moose Girl. Or MG 
or her chocolate mousse. So I've always been um, mousse, pro-mousse, mousse-favorable, mousse-inclined. I need to go to bed. <laughs> Look, let me not torture anybody. We're coming up on four hours. Jonathan, it's always a treat. You guys have really helped me move through some emotions today, for which I am very grateful. This felt like a really good cathartic call. And, you know, I take uh, Sylvester's point that it becomes less dispiriting when we stop trying to engage with the other talkers and start becoming doers. So I'll be following up with Max about um, doing some kind of fundraiser. And I'm sure he'll have lots of thoughts and ideas about some other things we might be able to do. And that already puts the spark of um, peace and a little optimism in my heart, as all of you do every time I get on these call-ins. I don't know what I would do without this community. You guys, like you, someone said that I help them feel not gaslit. You all help me feel not gaslit. I swear to God, I don't know what I would do. Thank you. Thank you for helping me keep the faith. I will see you all on Monday. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcoms syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels just.